Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Manny Talk Shooting. Today, we are honored to have my buddy, Doug Dalski on today. Doug, how you doing, sir? Outstanding. How you doing, bud? I am fantastic. It's a wonderful Memorial Day for all you people who are actually worried about when we record these things. It's a good day. Absolutely. It's a little hot here, but not too bad. I don't know what that is. It's, we still live in the frozen tundra, even though it's springtime. Mm. Well, enjoy your frozen tundra. It's 106 today. Can we meet in the middle? You can have uh, like 80 degrees then since it's like only 50 here. Sold. Right. There we go. Boom. All right, everybody. So today on Manny Talk Shooting, we're going to talk about whatever the hell I want to talk about. So it'll be fun. But I talk to self-defense, competition shooters, instructors, anyone I feel like talking to because this is my podcast and I can do what the heck I want. So we're going to talk about anything we want to with Doug. But Doug, first of all, who are you and how did you get into shooting? Well, hey guys, I am Doug Dalski. I am currently an open shooter sitting at the very top of A class, right below master. I got into USPSA because like a lot of other people, I got my carry gun and got my carry permit and wanted to get a lot better at it. So I started off shooting some local outlaw kind of matches. Then I heard about this thing called USPSA. I went there, shot my first match, and within three months, bought a 34, and it's evolved ever since then. Um, shooting USPSA for about six years total, uh, serious, like actually practicing and dry firing the last two and a half or so. Before that, it was like once a month, I just shoot locals, didn't really practice. Um, I just went out and had fun with the bros, and then I got, okay, got tired of getting beat by certain people, got tired of not really getting any better and so i decided to take it a lot more serious and here we are today boom so on your progression you went from shooting a you know what are your carry gun probably to then your 34 and then your open gun what kind of made you pick open so i started like i said carry gun and i bought a glock 34 gen 4 shot that for about a year and a half or so and then I got, I started dabbling in limited. So, and I live in Kami, California. So getting anything that's high capacity or cool is kind of hard. And I ended up getting my hands on a Para Ordnance P16, which is the OG kind of double stack 1911, um, built by a paintball company in Canada of all places, um, which took over the scene, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it's been, 20 years plus. Um, and I shot that for a while until I got myself an STI Edge, uh, which was about another year and a half or so. Towards the end of shooting that gun, I got serious and played in open a little bit. I shot a couple different guys' guns at different club matches and got myself a smoking deal on a Chaos, and I have been shooting open ever since. There you go. Now, yeah, I'm assuming you really like your Atlas Chaos. Absolutely. I am a firm believer in the brand. I support them. They support me. They're a great company. They, uh, Adam's a great guy. Everyone at the shop's really cool. Um, I went with them primarily because I didn't, I'm not a really a big frills guy. Like I had a really basic limited guns. I didn't have anything with crazy slide cuts or anything over the top, not Gucci'd out or anything like that. Even my Glock, it was factory except for Dawson sites, you know, back when production was a real production division. But other than that, like I wanted a gun that looked relatively good, but functioned and had a really good reputation. I like the idea behind the whole perfect zero thing, the science, all the YouTube videos that were out there of them basically explaining their gear. I had talked to some guys who were shooting their guns, really enjoyed them, and was able to get my hands on one and been running them ever since. 
Yeah, now is uh, there's nothing special about your chaos, is there? Besides being uh, different thumb uh, thumb rests. Yeah, it's a V1 chaos. It's it's kind of cool. It's in the first hundred ever made, uh, which is kind of cool. It's still on the P. It was on the PT grip and a PT frame. Um, it's got a different coating on the top end because I had a new top end built when I got the gun. But other than that, no, I run the Sig XL. 6MOA and I run the TiVo thumbrest. Um, Range Panda just sent me a uh, convex, so I'm going to try that out to see if I like it any better. You know, so I'll I can't tell you if I like it or not, other than I've dry fired it a little bit and I kind of dig it. It's a little bit different, not as in your face as the TiVo, but the TiVo thumb lock does work and I it kind of takes a lot of the work out of having a thumb rest, kind of like the Go Guns or as anybody on EMS knows, generic for um, gas pedal, you know generic thumb sorry that's the word but i like the range panda so far just in dry fire a little bit today um it sucks in a little bit more doesn't have that big shelf which is how eric and johnny built it but yeah other than that it's just a bone stock chaos i was running a really heavy magwell on it a limcat steel one i switched back to the dawson to better balance the gun and it's pretty much perfect at this point and you say what that's about a 50 ounce gun yeah, I mean, it doesn't weigh as much as, you know, people's X5s, but it gets the job done. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know. People, I don't want to be swinging around a 60-ounce gun, even even a plastic gun for that matter. That's too heavy. I don't know. I mean, it seems heavy, like, especially, I. oh, sorry, I, I messed up my gun for, for progression there. I shot a Tanfo for about a year and a half. I had a stock three. So I went Glock to Tanfo, which was a mistake. I was nowhere near ready to have that nice of a gun. But... Mm-hmm because i had i got the hookup and i shot it for a while but it was given someone that had no business having that nice of a gun you know and a good trigger with no good fundamentals kind of put me back a bit but um i shot a tanfo too for a while but you know it it just really works man yeah i've been uh i've been searching the internet about open it's okay guys i that's kind of my goal is to go to open Figuring out to how to financially afford open in the beginning is going to be the hard part, but we're looking for open. Hopefully, two years. Two years for open, till open. There you go. And that's me getting just one gun at the start, even though I want twinsies. Who doesn't want twinsies? Come on. People who want quadruples, you know, quintuplets. Well, you've probably heard the saying before it goes in USPSA, but especially in open, you know, one is none, two is one, three is two. You know what I mean? Like, all the guys I shoot with, it's like, oh, one's always in the shop because they're a certain manufacturer, which may or may not start with an L or an I. And, oh, I got to have two other guns to have as backups. You know what I mean? So it's like one's always broken. One's a practice gun and one's a match gun. You know, I'm a firm believer. If you have two guns, that's ideal. One, if you've got parts and you don't break anything major and you maintenance your gun really well, you don't have really much issues. I mean, I've got probably close to 80K through my chaos. And I just take care of it. I routinely have a list of everything, how much ammo I shoot. I document everything really well. I've got a list of, okay, I'm going to replace this part now. Recoil spring at this point, this and this. You know, I talk to the shop a bunch and have a whole gear maintenance list to keep it on the road, just like you would your car, something that you're going to rely on. You got to do the same with your guns. You can't be like, oh, I shot maybe 20 grand. Maybe it's time to switch out my uh, recoil spring in there. You know, it might be a good idea. That'd be a very good idea. I mean, <laughs> 20,000 is a lot, though, to go through a recoil spring before you change it. <laughs> yeah, but there's guys that are out there, oh, it still shoots fine. I'll replace it eventually. Okay. 
maybe with a Glock you can go with twenty thousand without worrying about it. But no, not an open gun. Not in my opinion. Negative. My my goal would be to have twinsies with a third dot. Have a third dot in the box. I am a firm believer of backup dots. I am a very firm believer of that. I keep an RTS two because I got a. I think 150 bucks for it. It's a V4 with a six or an eight MOA. I keep that as a backup. It's got its own mount, something like that, just in case a dot does go down, which my um, SIG did go down after um, Dragon's Cup. Not during the match, but literally the next practice, I got back into town on a Monday. Wednesday night, I went and practiced indoors and I was midway through a transition drill and uh, the glass decided it wanted a break from the concussion. And so, which SIG, honor to them, they're great. They're like Vortex, man. I sent an email, sent a picture, gave a quick description to the guy, and I had a new, I shipped mine, and within six days of me sending it, like, they got it, and then sent me a new, like, no, nothing other than that. They were great. There you go. St- yeah, uh, Cotter said the same thing. They, he had to have his dot faster than that, so they gave, it, gave him one on good faith. I'm mean, like, good on him. Absolutely. Good on them. So besides shooting a chaos, what is your uh, belt and gear setup? So my belt and gear setup, because I know this is a podcast, so you can't see it, except you can see it. You kind of know, but I shoot for uh, Dominate Defense, yeah. uh, which is by far the best belt system on the market. The stiffest right. and the most rigid, especially the, our, the newest one is that, that steel liner in it. Um, as you can see, mine's orange if you haven't seen my stuff online. Because you make Jason will do a great job customizing it to whatever you need. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried CR speeds, I tried double alphas and all that other sort of stuff. I found out about them through the Paracast guys, and I talked started talking to Jason, and I bought one, and then he picked me up, and so I've been shooting with them for about a year, almost a year and a half or so so far now. Um, mm-hmm. So I run their belt, and then Jason also does um, CCW stuff as well for holsters. That's not really on the website, but he does them. So if you can see my video, like he makes really nice um, carry holsters and my guns, obviously, empty, but um, they do stuff with le- like leather backing stuff because that's their prime industry is doing stuff with like the cowboy industry. So super soft, really nice leather. And he actually made them custom for me. So it's got orange stitching, which I thought was a really cool touch. Concealment wing, nice belt clip. And I, of course, run their uh, carry belt as well, which is super rigid. Great for before I even had the carry belt before he sent me one. I was just using the regular Mach 1 inner belt for my everyday pants because you know how it is. Even the Velcro, the regular ones, that's a great belt to have. It's super easy and stuff like that. So, yeah, I run their carry belt, um, which is super awesome, which even with the new rig he made me is, like, solid. It doesn't move just like their outer belt, which I think you've got one as well, right? Oh, yeah. I have a Mach 1 belt, and it is the finest belt. I blame Tim Heron and the Paracast because right. the, the ads on the Paracast are so convincing. I honestly hemmed and hawed at getting a dominate defense for about six, seven months. The mm-hmm. price tag is initially scary. It is. But when you just say, I'm going to spend this money, and you're going to have a belt that's going to last you multiple seasons because you're not relying on Velcro. You're relying on a ratchet system yep. to suck your fatness in. Yeah. And yeah. And that ratchet system is great for getting it super tight, but just even having it as the system it is, like I get, you see guys at the range now that you've had too, they're, they're all, you're all scrunched up all day. We all wore a double, regular double belt at some, some part, and you're sitting there all scrunched up all day. And then as soon as they're done with the match, oh, everybody can't wait to peel that thing off to not be wearing it. Even between stages, some guys take it off. 
like, oh, I'm tired of getting sucked in with this. You know, you push in on the ratchet, you can loosen that weight up and it doesn't even feel like you're wearing anything at all the way it supports you. Mm-hmm. It's and it's phenomenal. I wish I knew I could have just put in their OD green instead of black on my order. So I'm going to order yeah. another belt and turn my current belt into like a like a tactical belt. And then have an OD green one for a uh, uh, competition because OD green is better than orange. Everyone, just so you know, OD green. Well, if you're worried about, or if you want, not worried about, if you want to have kind of a tactical Timmy belt, he does make a warfighter belt, or is what it's called. It's kind of like a duty belt style system. It's a lot mm-hmm. thicker, so it distributes the weight. If you're going to have a bunch of three gun stuff on it, or duty type gear and stuff like that, which I've messed around with one of those as well. I don't really play those games or do that personification for that job title, but mm-hmm. I have to help him and he makes those as well. So, and it supports more crap basically on your belt a lot better. I got a couple CO buddies who have ordered them and ditched their uh, Blackhawk gear or whatever else, their, their standard uh, work issue gear for one of those because it's just lighter and better product. Oh yeah, it's definitely a better product. It's fantastic. I like the ratchet. I kind of, that's why I want to go with a Mach 1 outer. He even hit me up like I had posted a couple times about it. He's like, Call me. I'll give you a discount code. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, bro. I'm like, oh, oh yeah. He's super cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, he actually came out to, him and his wife came out to the Golden Bullet this last weekend, and they sold a crap ton of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're phenomenal. I mean, I think I made mine, I got mine a little small, but I'm, I'm planning on losing a couple inches maybe more, so it'll be okay. But it's not, like, small. It's just, like, it's right-sized, y'all. It's right-sized. <laughs> And you have one of those funky, what's your uh, race holster? I, I think it's something funky. I've seen a couple of them. So I float between, I currently I'm running the Everglades, which is originally, oh, not the Manny Bragg. I can't remember the name of USA, I think was the original brand. Um, Everglades bought the patent, and so it's the Everglades Magnetic Race Holster, which is currently not even being made anymore because of COVID. Um, last I checked on their website, they weren't making any more. I run that race holster or I run the Safari Land 015. Those are the kind of two I float between, um, just kind of based on how I'm feeling and different moods I'm in, basically. Yeah, so you'll rip one off and put the other one on? Pretty much. I have one set up on my old belt, and I've got one set up on my primary belt. Because I keep a dry fire belt and I keep a match belt, basically. So I don't have to then go get the same belt and put it on all the time and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So my mag pouches are the same. Um, holsters are interchange are basically the same. They're both race holsters. I mean, I'll shoot open. I'm not going to run a Kydex holster or anything like that. So they feel basically the same. Um, the 015 for me, is it feels smoother and faster, but it's not as forgiving on the draw. Just however it's built, even though it's newer, like for my, you know, middle of the road shooterness. It's not as forgiving as the Everglades is. Yeah, I know one local shooter to me. He just made M in open, and he shoots in Everglades. It looks really cool. Yeah, uh, he, I mean, that's what mine is. I mean, it's it's got a lot of adjustability. It's way better than the double alphas because it's not going to break as easy and stuff like that. There's a bunch of screws for cant and inward cant, and then even the arm itself. I take off one of the magnets instead of having two. I run one. Uh, one of the, I can't remember, Tiny Go, she's one of the shooters out of Texas. She, her and her uh, husband or boyfriend, they both shoot open and they shoot, they got some chaoses. But she was running two of them. And I was like, hey, take off that top magnet. Your draw speed is going to be plus 10. 
And so she did and then reposted it that, you know, I talked to her about it and it's, it's wicked quick and it's super nice. It's all Delrin plastic and it's just that one little roller magnet that holds it when it's mm-hmm. sitting in there, when it's not locked, which there's no issues. I get off the line pretty quick, not as quick as I should, but it's not like it's going to fall out like some of the other manufacturers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's a cool looking rig. I don't know. I like I like race holsters. They look cool. But I'm a poor. <laughs> I got to use a bucket. <laughs> if you shot Ipsic, you could have a race holster for your block. Yeah, that's true. But I'd have to have 15 rounds and carry optics. Oh, what a shame that would be. High cap for life. Oh, no. 15 rounds is what it should be. Ugh. All right. You and uh, Tomas the Boss Hernandez over there thinking about 15-round production. Well, Ben Berry's like that as well. He's a big 15-round production guy. Actually, I don't believe production should be 15 rounds. I think carry optics should be 15 rounds. You know what I mean? Leave production around alone. It's been ruined enough as it is. It's been just demolished in the last three years or two years alone. But yeah, uh, carry optics. No one has a 59-ounce or 56-ounce carry gun. I'm sorry. None of those guys who shoot legions or shadow twos are carrying them. That's not practical. No, it's not. And it's definitely not safe, especially since it doesn't have a uh, firing pin block in the Shadow 2s. Negative. But, you know, most Shadow 2 guys are hipsters anyways. You know, like Robert and some other guys, they would <laughs> they be classified as hipsters. I know all the guys in the Bay who shoot them, they, they could pull off being hipsters, just saying. Yeah, with their uh, curly must, French mustaches and their coffee, in their little coffee cups. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, but JJ drinks espresso, and he's funny when he drinks his espressos. It's only because he's like waiting to get punched in the throat by his wife. Well, that's true. But it's the best stories. I love those. Make me laugh every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of these days, she's going to beat him up on camera and he's going to post it. I don't want to laugh. Do you, do you remember at one point where she was secretly recording him while he was making breakfast and shit all the time and he never knew it? <laughs> and then eventually he figured it out. Yeah, because she was posting and then not sharing, not tagging him. In, and then finally she did one time and he goes back and looks at it and goes, oh, my gosh, he got me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're the best. She Absolutely. must be a saint. She has to be to put up with him. She does. Well, now that we've gone over your gear and stuff like have, I know we've talked about it, but who have you taken uh, training courses from? So I have taken training courses from our mutual friend, Tim Heron, Timmy, mm-hmm. the short one, the fav- my favorite left-handed shooter besides myself. Um, I've taken a class from him and just some local guys too, like some, some older guys in my club who wasn't necessarily a class, but I kind of trained with them and got some trigger time with them because they've been shooting the game for, you know, 10, 15 years and kind of got some inspiration from them. But as far as paying people, Tim. And I'm taking a Travis DeMossi class towards the end of the year as well. So that'll be my second instructor I've actually paid to teach me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited. Timmy's coming in as but as a recording of this, 18 days. We have 18 days till Tim shows up. Nice. Yep. Round two. Year number two. We're kind of trying to make it a yearly thing. We get enough people. Luckily enough, we've sold the class out. Luckily enough. Through That's good. Through peer pressure. Well, at one point, like, uh, maybe three weeks ago, we lost three people. Oof. So we were like, no, we got to sell this thing out so it's worth it. Because, you know, you don't want to come to a... I, I, 
I do and I don't. I don't mind having less people, but I don't want to have it where the class gets canceled because we don't have enough. Because it's not worth the squeeze to make all the travel arrangements and get paid. Yeah, but isn't his minimum eight? It, it is. It is eight. But okay. Which I wouldn't mind, but that means more rounds. And that, that reminds me, I've got primers coming this week. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. But I got... No, How those are expensive. I only got... 1700 primers on this one because I bought them off of a buddy who bought them from another guy. I was paying 14, he paid 14 cents, so I paid him 14 cents a primer. But at that point, it was like, if you don't buy these, who says you'll find any more? So that's 140,000. Yeah. Oh, Brian, I feel so bad for you. I know. This is the problem when you start reloading during a pandemic. Yeah, I, I, I've listened to some of the old pods, and it's like, I've heard your kind of your your origin stories and stuff like that about how it all started, and I'm like, bro, and I started shooting right after the, basically the same time as Sandy Hook and all that sort of stuff happened, um, so when I first started shooting, I was casting my own bullets, my own 9mm bullets, like, that's how bad things were, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I was shooting with tight group, and, and my 34, they were, like, keyholing sometimes, because the mold wasn't that good, so because it was non-concentric. Like, so I remember being there, but, you know, and primers were bad, but at the time I had a really good buddy who was kind of helping me out and I wasn't shooting much, you know, I was shooting one local a month. So, I mean, what's a couple hundred rounds every month, you know, it wasn't too big of a deal. I wasn't serious about it. That's the one thing I'm not primer poor. I'm sitting on probably 50 plus K right now. I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not too worried. My goal is after pandemic to at least have 10,000 on hand as a reserve. Cause I know I could shoot probably 5,000 a year. That's my goal at minimum to shoot 5,000 a year. So if I at least have 10,000 at 5,000 a year, that's two years if I cannot get primers after this. Why so little, bro? Because. Got to start somewhere, damn it. Only skies I... the... And if you can tell the wife, oh, I got, only got to spend like uh, like so much money. I only got to spend like 400 bucks to get all these primers, honey. It's not as bad as when you keep spending more money on it. And then it's like, what are all yeah. these... You don't know. You don't want to know about those, honey. No, oh, I feel for you, man. That that's that sucks. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna pull a Robert Wyatt, and after this, I'm not gonna be happy unless I once things get back to normal. If they get back to normal, which it's not, you know, the new normals get looking pretty insane. I don't know if you saw Midway or Brownells, whoever it was, released their new prices for primers. I think they were God forty five or fifty five a thousand for Winchesters or something like that. Like, and they're out of stock support, but they, I saw a screen cap of something the other day. And then uh, Barry's released today again uh, that they were increasing their prices. I mean, like 16% on regular plated bullets. You know, two, two, threes were up 25%. Don't quote me on these numbers, but they were, it was another significant increase, like out of nowhere. So, like, it was just one of those things that, like, okay, here we go, Cuzzo. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's no, that's what no are you shooting, shooting minor. I'm sorry, say again? What are you shooting for bullets, shooting minor? Uh, right now, I have a stash of blues. I luckily uh, I luckily am smart enough and buy those at when I can, 2400 a pop. And I uh, it's only about 150 bucks because I use, like, their 5% off discount code. Yep. So, you use Stagger's code all the time. Yep, you stay, I use, uh, last time I used uh, Cody Axon's code, just because, uh, share the love a little bit, and... Absolutely. Now, now that, have you looked at uh, running the black bullets at all? 
Um, I it was funny because I needed to have I had primers on hand and I didn't have any. I was still waiting on my first order of blues. I ordered some blacks because Kenny Platt. I, I was talking to Kenny Platt or I listened to him on the the Perfect Double podcast years ago. It seems yeah, like now <laughs> when they cared about us loyal listeners, they were telling me about blacks. And the only thing I didn't like about them, because after I got my blues, I loaded some blues up. And I didn't like that there were different shaped bullets, so I'd have to reset the sizing die or the you know the seating die. So I'm like, I sold those to a buddy for what I paid for them. Mm. Especially, so if I if I switch out of blues, I might go to the black, especially since they ship fast. But there's also a company near me in Wisconsin called DG Bullets. I have heard of them. They they just turn. I like them because they're green. That's about it. <laughs> and they're uh, they look like the same profile as blues, so it wouldn't have to make me change my seating depth too much. Yeah, I've heard mixed reviews on those. I can't speak from. I myself haven't loaded them, but I've had buddies who've tried them, and they were not too impressed. But I myself don't have firsthand experience, so I can't say. But I have loaded a ton of blue bullets and a ton of black bullets. I used to shoot actually for Gallant Group. And used to shoot their bullets as well. But then when I hopped on the open train, that obviously wasn't going to happen anymore, um, particularly with their blend of bullets. So, but blacks are a good alternative. That's what I run for all my practice ammo is all Black Bullets International stuff. I'm not, you know, not a sponsored plug or anything like that. I just have a bunch of buddies who are. And Chandler's a pretty cool dude and gives a lot back to the community as well. So it's one of those things that they run for my purposes. Um, but that's also an option as well if you don't want to wait for blue bullets. Yeah, especially since they're like it. I think it probably even went up. I'm gonna, uh, power of the internet. I'm looking up. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna see if they went up again because it wouldn't surprise me if their lead time went up again. Uh, yeah, they they fell victim victim of that whole kept taking orders and didn't have product to ship. And along with the you know when everything got crazy, they were still sending out their subscriptions and then you know backlogged. I don't know three six months, however bad it got at that at one point. Uh, let's see. Yep, they're all, okay. They're still at fourteen and sixteen weeks. I ordered some at Christmas time and got them not too long ago. I mean, it's been a bit, but they're right about fourteen weeks for theirs. I'm kind of a poor. I still don't have a bullet feeder, so I I have to get my fingers all yucky. But are you running a six fifty or a five fifty? Seven fifty. Seven fifty. Nice. Good for you. Yep. See, I used my thank you, uh, President Trump. Uh, Former President Trump, I was able to get a COVID stimulus money. The first check that went to a Dylan 750. There you go. It was that or a backup gun. I'm like, well, if I can load ammo cheaper, even if things go crazy, you can load ammo cheaper than you can buy it. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole thing is like, I remember for a long time there, you couldn't even load miner for as cheap as what you could buy at factory ammo if you could find factory ammo. And obviously now, since things have been crazy for so long, that's not a possibility. So now it's like even telling guys that are getting new in the game and stuff on they're like, well, do you save any money reloading? You know, because I got a 1050 and all that jazz, right? You don't save any money. You just get to shoot more for your dollar. That's what reloading's all about, you know? So instead of buying, you know, 500 rounds of nine and shooting for this dollar amount, you're able to load, you know, a thousand or 2000 for the same amount of price. Right. And I don't even like at this point, I don't even worry about projectile cost at this point. It's more of. If I have a thousand, if I can buy a thousand primers, I can load a thousand rounds for what it costs me less than like a hundred rounds made. You know, I'm saying I have everything on hand. Now, powder's being a bitch to find, but I haven't been looking actively for powder. I was using sport pistol until that my I ran out of that. So I had to switch to a tight group. 
Hey, I was able to find it before the pandemic, and it was pretty decently priced, and I was able to get two pounds. So, yep, back when I that was the one of the very first powders that came in stock, and me and some buddies did a group buy. I think we bought sixty four pounds. We split two hazmats in order. However, we got it done, but we bought like sixty four pounds worth of powder, and it was Tiger because that was the first powder to come back in stock. But that did not last long. As soon as I started shooting coated bullets, it was a little rough with tight group. Not as nice as it could be. So then I switched to N320. And then after that, I actually got a hookup with a sponsor who started loading my ammo for me. Because I kept having squibs loading with my buddy on his Hornady lock and load, I think is what it was. Which is a pile of parts that never really worked right. Um, and so I went to that. I've been running with Shooter's World's powder ever since. Lovex, Shooter's World. Slingshot, and then of course now major pistol shooting hope. See, and I want to get myself. So I was talking to Cotter a couple months ago about it. I want to get myself some what clean shot. That's the yes. minor ammo. That's the minor powder. I want to get some clean shot and see how that compares to a sport pistol. Pretty close because uh, I shot N320 before I switched to uh, clean shot, and they're all kind of basically the same. Those three, pretty close. Um, clean shot, I think, is. It's a bit more of a finer powder than sport pistol is, but it plays nice and the burn rates are relatively all the same. Like you look on the burn rate chart, like N320 is one or two levels slower than clean shot, if I'm not mis mistaken, and sport pistol is right in that same ballpark as well. So it's just kind of what you can find and what you can get given current circumstances. Yeah, my tight group load right now, it runs a power factor of like 135. Everyone thinks I'm crazy though, but it, no, it recoils nice. Yeah. Well, I actually used eyebrow at me at, at Golden Bullet when I, my ammo came in at 175. And I'm like, what? It's the same ammo I loaded for Dragon's Cup. It's the same charge weight. Like, it's the exact same lot. Because when I load for the year, I usually do it in big batches, you know. Because for me, I won't really get behind the 1050 unless it's at least a couple thousand rounds. Because it's not worth my time. You know, I'm not one of those. I find it relaxing to a point. But at the same time, I'm there to load ammo and get it done, right? So I'll do major match ammo, which is all brass. It's roll sized and processed. And I've actually gone through it, look for, you know, stepped cases and all that sort of stuff you got to do when you're looking for nine. I've ran a magnet over it to get any steel cases out of it. I've, you know, really policed my brass really well. And I'll load all that in one big batch because the same lot of powder. I know it makes major at any diff any given seed level pretty much across the country with that charge weight. And then I set it aside and I don't even have to worry about it. I don't have to deal with it. And it comes anywhere between 170 and 175. Mm -hmm. Now, why do, have you looked at getting those shell shock cases? Negative Ghost Rider. Unless they're going to give them to me, I have no reason to run them. Yeah, because I was there was a local when I was shoot just got into competition. I was shooting some. What was it? The it was Phoenix Ammo. They're out of Detroit, and they were selling the the shell shock cases in a 147 competition load. That became certified ammo, but barely squeaked power factor. Oh, kind of like all the Federal's ammo. Yeah, well, just with Timmy Heron in 45, because uh, bad, bad, ammo, bad uh, powder charge on that one. But hey, it still counted. Still works. Yep. Yeah, so the ammo wasn't bad. I liked the shell shot cases. I just didn't have enough to warrant... I didn't have enough brass saved, or cases saved, to warrant buying their dyes to you know, run them. That's my whole thing, too, is I've got a really good hookup on brass. I got a buddy who pretty much is the not maintenance clerk, the, what's the word for it? The caretaker of one of the police ranges up here. 
Um, that's a private course, and he had, you know, he's got rights to Nebraska that's on his land and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I pay a ridiculously cheap amount for clean nine millimeter brass that it really doesn't matter to me. Yeah, you know? at, that, at that point, you had a hookup. It's good to stay with the hookup. I've, I've got a ton of it sitting on hand. I mean, I pick it up when I go practice because I'm not going to be a messy slob and leave a mess for someone else. But at matches, I'm never worried about it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It, process it, call it good, load it, shoot it, give it to some, I give it to my buddies who shoot minor or I give it to people who start reloading. I'm like, here you go. Yeah. I tell everybody who gets into shooting, save brass. Even if you don't plan on reloading, just save your brass. Yeah. I, when I was first started shooting prod, I always saved all the 40 I found because at my, one of my ranges I practice at uh, CHP goes out there and does all their quals and practices once a week. The range is actually closed just for them. California Highway Patrol for people who don't know the acronym. But um, they go out there now, all that stuff's nickel 40. And I had like four giant protein containers full of that stuff before I even shot limited. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was like, well, it's brass. I should pick it up. One day I might shoot limited when I'm not being so poor. And lo and behold, that happened. Right. I I hate finding 40 brass on the range. So I chuck it at the berm. I'm like, you bastard. Especially no, this one. Hmm? No, that's 380. Oh yeah, that too. The wife t- she tried to get me convince me to reload reload re- 380 and I'm like, "No. I am not buying a die set for that shit." <laughs> no. I'm not giving into that bullshit. Well, then the problem is you got to at that point cuz I'd buy a whole new tool head at that point. Because I don't find oh. it worth it to take all the dies off and then reset them and They're so cheap for the 750 650. Come on now. A uh, whole new die head. Well, the whole the whole plan is uh I don't know. I've got a I've got a couple 1911s. I might uh I might get a 45 die set if I could ever find it. A lot of Dylan stuff is actually coming back in stock. A good place where I got a couple uh, extra tool heads for processing brass alone. Um, I got them on eBay of all places. It was a, I got a couple of good deals on them, and conversion kits are starting to flow back on Dylan because I keep an eye on that sort of stuff. Because like I'm starting to load 45 for my girlfriend's dad because um, you know two world wars, right? So me trying to find uh, the priming system changeover and the whole conversion kit and, you know, the shell plate and the whole um, for the case feeder and all that stuff. That was a pain until, oh, my gosh, now it's back in stock and ordered and now sitting on the bench waiting to be loaded. Yeah. But God, eight to 12 weeks for back order from Dylan is like crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Because I, I was irritated because the only thing. I didn't start reloading my ammo until I had everything I got from Dylan. I was waiting on the longest time was my case feeder because my case feeder plate took forever to uh, get installed. Well, it was the case feeder plate they were waiting on. And for some reason with their uh, processing system, always use a credit card, guys. If you can't, don't use your debit card. No. Because it was a pain in the ass because it happened to my, my bank was smart and they kept declining it. Well, not declining it, but not authorizing it. So I'd have to call a I'd have to call a rep every time to make like be like yo what's taking so long? Dylan was nice to me because I was nice to them. I didn't cuss them out. I told them I understand. I was say, you treat those people nice, they will treat you well. Um, and a lot of people have the the misinformation that like the 1050 stuff's not warranty. Well, that's not true. If you within a year, I think is what the rule of thumb is, or if you've got history with them. Um, and you're not a commercial reloader, they'll actually help you out. So I screwed up one of my tool heads um, being a jack wagon, and they, I 
and was like, hey, this is what happened. I sent it in. They sent me a new one. They were really cool about it. What'd you do to your tool head? I missed a step in the process of taking it apart and did the whole, you know, a lot of people with a 650, 750, so you can break that indexing ring really easy, that plastic one on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Well, I was uh, pulling the tool head off and I, the ram got stuck or something like that. And I was like, oh, I'll just push a little harder. And I pushed a little harder and bent one of those um, guide rods that like are attached to the tool head that are like pressure synced in there. Those two that help align it as it goes down. I bent one of those. So then it was kind of messed up and I wasn't, you know, it was, it was dead on arrival. So, you know, I learned my lesson. I'm like, well, shit, I just ate $250 for a tool head, but sent him a couple emails, made a phone call and I got myself a new one. There you go. Yeah. My also plan is to, if after they get caught back up or if I can find a smoking deal is get a, another 750 for, you know, loading other stuff so that I can just leave one for nine and one set up for something else or even just, um processing yeah two is one one is none oh agreed that and a spare parts kit is very key you know spare instead of having spare parts you have a spare gun instead of having spare press or spell parts your press you have a spare press so mm -hmm. that in case oh i broke something and it's backward because it's coming from china or somewhere like that like it's cool to have that stuff on hand i did that was one of the good things i did i talked to my buddy who's a commercial guy he's like listen need to buy this this and this watch these things because he's been running them for 30 years he's like watch these things loop this do this here's your maintenance schedule and have these on hand because you are going to jack things up one way or another it just kind of happens and so replace them and you'll have them on hand you don't have to wait for dylan to send you so that's what i did yeah, Dave Blanton of the Humble Marksman channel. When I got, when I, I he was the first one I kind of reached out to when I decided to get a press. And he was like, get yourself a spare parts kit. It's not going to, it's only 30 bucks. And yeah. you can replace it and then call Dylan and then, then you have a new one for the kit. Yep. That's exactly what I did too. And my, my 650 came with a bunch of parts from the guy I bought it from. And I still did the same thing. As soon as I broke something, I hit him up and that way I had multiples. So when I sold everything, I didn't have to really worry about waiting on a part to be able to load ammo at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, loading ammo I, I find is fun. It just gets boring after a while. Loading's not bad. It's case gauging and inspecting your ammo that's kind of annoying. Yeah, I'm a double case gauger. Like, I I use those uh, running gun bags for ammo. Mm -hmm. So I'll case gauge after I'm done loading and then throw it in the bag. And then if I need to figure out how much is in the bag, instead of just throwing it like a bullet tray or counting it, I'll just put it through the case gauge again. And you're running a hundo, right? Yep. Oh, thank God. You have no, a riser? Yes, I do. Remember, okay. we talked about this when you did your live stream. Dude, I'm old, bro. I forget these things. That was a week ago. No, it was two weeks ago. Yeah, I do remember now. I forget shit. But yeah, they're nice. Uh, I just run it through once. I I roll them because that's kind of how I learned from a commercial side. If you don't have a mechanical or not a mechanical, like a machine that kind of does it for you, I roll all my cases out because um, it just makes it a lot easier. And then I'll case gauge them because I'm just looking for cracks. If I didn't see it while I'm loading, because I'm still hand cranking on my 1050, I was going to automate. And then all these shenanigans started. So I was like, um, I'm going to save this money because this money might be what I need to survive, you know, if the world starts getting crazy, right? I might need this to buy food or more ammo versus I having an auto drive for my 1050. That's the route I'll go. I would like a Mark 7. Um, I only for having the extra stations. Like, that'd be the coolest thing just for case prep. You know, not necessarily loading, 
because I'm not at that 100K mark until I think I'm shooting that much, then really loading on a machine like that or buying a machine like that really isn't necessary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The extra stations would be nice, but yeah. Have you seen uh, Supervel's issues with their uh, their Mark 7 they've been having lately? Yeah, I saw that and talked to Mike about it. That was hilarious. That, that whole shenanigans going on with that thing is... Uh, pretty ridiculous but i've got a lot of friends who have those presses and you know a bunch of people too it's like oh i don't know about all that noise yeah ah but him mike stoker and them jorts man them jean shorts dude i was gonna buy some because they had some some ones in orange bro but they're kind of spendy i was like damn i i need to get me a discount code or a sponsor or something like that those things look dope but man kind of spendy you see him in his his guys from the match video from yesterday or something like that, they're wearing them and their tan lines are completely different. <laughs> yep. You can see the dark darkness of the legs and the white ass spots from where the, their old shirts were covering up. Oh, it made me roll, dude. I was dying. Dude, I found some awesome like walking shorts at Sam's Club the other day for uh, 10 bucks. Say again? What brand are they? They're the Denali brand from Sam's Club and if if you if you want if you grown men want a tip, go to Sam's Club and buy clothes because you can save hell of a money on on non name brand good stuff. You know what is a good one at Walmart and actually or Walmart Sam's Club same thing. Right. But there's a, a line they come out in the spring summertime. It's the UTG Wranglers and they're like a active wear kind of shorts and they also make pants in the wintertime. That's what I shoot in ninety nine percent of the time because they're super breathable, right? But mm -hmm. they've got all the belt loops. They've got a, a slot on each side for like your phone or your optic cover. And they're super like the cut's just perfect. And they flex just a little bit, especially the pants as well. It's kind of like a neoprene kind of fabric feeling stuff. And they're fire for 20 bucks a pair of shorts and 25 for pants. Like mm -hmm. they're legit. Do not sleep on those those shorts that you can get at Walmart or Sam's Club or even Costco has them on occasion too. Like they're perfect for shooting and just life in general. Yeah, because I've been testing these. I bought these shorts, like, I think on Friday. And I've been wearing them, like, all weekend. And they're very nice. I can do squats in them. So I know that they're uh, low port ready. <laughs> so basically, you're Heron's regular port? Hey, yeah. I mean, unless it's, like, a real, real low port and he's laying on his belly like everybody else. <laughs> or the Urban Prone. Oh, yeah, Urban Prone. I mean, I feel bad for Charlie Perez because he's really tall. When you got to get him in a low port, you got to get all the way down there. Him and Blanton, they're both giants, bro. They're like six five, six seven. Like Jesus. I know, dude. That's like a whole extra, almost a whole extra foot. We gotta look up. Like, what the hell? Oh, are you five five? Is that what you are? I'm like five seven, five eight on a good day. Gotcha. But still, that, I, I hate looking up. I mean, I don't. Tim Heron is the only person I know in shooting at the top level who is shorter than I am. Uh, Gianni before he got tall. Yeah, but Gianni's like 17, bro. He's, he's still going to grow. Yeah, and he's still crushing souls along the way. Yeah. He, shit, he, did, he smoked him. At, he was doing good at L10. Yeah. That was pretty good. Weird. Me and another guy at uh, GBC were talking about him and Christian battling it out in L10. And I was like, yeah, that was uh, pretty impressive to watch from the score side of it. Yeah. Well, did you see he has an open gun now? He has two of them. You know, so he's gonna he's gonna play in limited and then like murder everybody in open. 
No, it's the opposite. He's going to stay in limited. He's going to play in open. I don't know. I, think, yeah. I don't think yeah. he's going to stop shooting limited until he wins a Nats. Yeah. Oh, you mean a real Nats? You mean a real, oh, uh, not junior Nats? Yeah. I. You know, that's, yeah, I'm, I'm going to not comment on that. I'll just not talk about junior shooters when it comes to trophies and stuff like that because it's one of those things about USPSA that just, you know, it's great, but it's, you know, it is what it is. The nice, yeah, thing, the nice thing for Gianni and like the the Williams sisters is that they actually are heat. They you know they actually shoot well. They do, and they I mean they outpace like uh, Justine shooting open or single stack or CO whatever those girls play, and they usually slay you know ninety percent plus of the shooters. I mean Jay Lee gave Kenny a run two years ago in single stack, and she was you know that was two years ago. You know, grown ass man who's been shooting the game for a long time. She gave him a run for his money. You know what I mean? They're they're no one to sleep on. They've got a really good coach and they've got a really good support system. But yeah, that's crazy. I watched Gianni. He ran a open gun when we were at Dragons. He ran a there was a guy on our squad who had a open gun. It was one of their new IMM thirty eight super calm guns. And I watched him run that and I got film of that and dude, he ran it was in the commentary, I'm doing like, oh, that's going to be a problem whenever you decide to come play an open. I mean, just splitting the hell out of the trigger on these plates that were like 12 or 15 yards, like basically the size of full-size poppers at that distance of circles, and duty knocked over one of them. Like, just Jesus. And just mm-hmm. transitioned to lightning quick. Like, obviously, he's played with those guns before and stuff like that. But, yeah, it was like, oh, God, that kid's come to shoot open. That's going to be very scary for everyone Yes, it will be. It will be very scary, uh, but it'll be it'll be fun to watch. Johnny, uh, he's got the heat and the talent. He just gotta, he just gotta put it all together, and he'll be a national champ. Absolutely. Did you see this last weekend at the mid or this weekend at Mid Atlantic? Mason pulled out that check, pulled out his fiance's checkmate, and shot that and at the match. Mm-hmm. The the rained out match of the weekend. Yeah, I remember saying that was a good match, and I was like, that looked horrible. <laughs> The stages look baller, like uh, the weird, like they had to flip. Did you see some of the videos where they had to go on each side and smack something open and shoot some targets and go to the other side? Or they had the teeter-totter that activated the weird, like, turtle shifty-shim things? Yeah, I saw that, but I hate gimmicky stuff like that. It bugs the crap out of me. The only stage that I saw that looked cool was the one that had, like, little ramps that were built throughout the stage. You kind of had to, like, like, mini like for skateboard ramps or something like arcs on each side and then they were flat on top. Those mm-hmm. kind of, I saw a stage like that and a couple other ones. I didn't, I didn't see a ton of stages. I just saw Mason saw it, shot it, shooting open, you know, and his things like, Oh, dude, you know, Bruce has wanted me to come back, but I wanted to shoot just this one match to see what it was like to run an open gun. I was like, Jesus, please stay in CO. Cause he mm-hmm. was very spicy with, you know, a checkmate of all things. Yeah. And those are usually notorious for dying. Bro, like my second major ever, there was a guy on our squad who broke something on his checkmate, and he's at the safe table. Broke him. I don't know. Have you messed around with CZ style guns? No, no. So I, I shot a Tanfo for a while, and like taking those guns apart, you could have roll pin punches and like all sorts of craziness because it was built by a communist country. The pattern was, you know, at the time, it was the best gun they could come up with 40 or 50 years ago, however long it's been. But it's all roll pins and springs and trigger return springs, all this crazy stuff that's in those patterns. He basically rebuilt the gun on the safe table and then in order to go back to shooting after zeroing the stage. I'm like, uh, no, I'm going to stick with the church of John Browning and call it good. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, those they got too many damn springs, especially on a safe table. I would, I'd be like, nope, I'm going home. I ain't fucking <sighs> with that shit. Dude, yeah, people want to talk about. They think you know, 2011s are scary. Pop open a CZ, you'll shit the bed with all the parts that are in there. In a 2011 and a 1911 are not that real scary, as long as you keep kind of like things together. Yeah, they're not scary at all. They're pretty simple. It's like, I can't remember what podcast it was. Someone had gone to the Infinity Experience and had said like they had never even taken the lower part of their gun apart before. Like, dude, and the guy had like 60K through the gun and he never taken apart the lower. Like, he invested 10 grand in an open gun and never, and he was scared to take it apart. Like, bro. Watch a YouTube video or have friends that's a gunsmith. Like, it's not hard. Like, there's a spring. There's a trigger bar. There's this and this and this. Like, it's not hard. It's nothing compared to a CZ. No, absolutely. Or some of the older things. Oh, yeah. Fuck those things. Yeah. The only thing you can do to fuck your gun up pretty much on on the bottom end is breaking your leaf springs. Pretty much. I I did that to a 1911. Yeah, I at one point I put the the springs back in. Well, not the oh yeah the the weird it's stu- stupid steel spring anyway. I broke the bottom tab off where it clicks into the frame on a 1911. Yeah, the hammer wouldn't go. I'm <laughs> just like, yeah, all right, give me a part, damn it. I, I think I took it to a gunsmith just to make sure to verify. And he's like, yep, just need a new one of these. Give me a free recoil spring out of the deal though too. A. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Nice. Well, shit, Doug, what's your training schedule like? Training schedule. So, uh, we talking, okay, we'll go physical, mental, well, no, we'll go physical as in, like, dry fire stuff, shooting schedule when I actually get live fire, and then we'll do mental as well. So, okay. dry fire is usually about six days a week. Um, most of the time, just once uh, a day for about 15, maybe 20 minutes. It depends on how tired I am. I usually do it um, after work um, mm-hmm. before the girlfriend gets home. So I have the full garage to kind of pull a, a Rob and Athena or a, who's that other buddy of yours? The guy who's in his basement that's got like a baller swinger and all that stuff. I just oh, followed it today. Jay Beal, man. Jay Beal. Dude, that guy's a savage, bro. So yeah, I, I'll do the garage kind of run around thing. I've got some shooting boxes. I've got, I've got one of the go fast and suck swingers in there. I got targets freaking littered everywhere because it's the garage slash my reloading room slash dry fire room right so i do that about six days a week um 15 20 minutes a day i I like to change it up um as far as different things most of that's based on what i did in matches or what i feel like i do crappily like right now i'm i did today was getting off the start because i watched some of my film from gbc it's been a predominant thing for me is getting going getting my movement started so I can get up to speed relatively quickly and I can hit a top speed pretty fast, right? I can scramble around good, but it's getting off the starting blocks that I really suck at, like agility type stuff. So I, I started working on that this week and I've got a pretty regimented routine. Not enough to be boring. It's not like I'm following one of Ben's book and just sitting there going, oh, it's Tuesday. I got to do, you know, two by two drills and I got to do surrender draws. Like I just work through match videos and the previous things or if there's any matches coming up to see that there's things I need to work on. Like GBC had a couple surrender starts, you know, which were, one was gun unloaded, but it was, you know, wrists above shoulders to then going and shooting a stage and loading the gun and doing that at the same time. I never really practiced that before because I'd never really seen it before. So I read the stage descriptions like, oh shit, that's an IPSC thing. I should probably practice that as well because it's a quick activator sequence. 
And so I practice things like that. Dry fire, um, live fire is usually once or twice a week. It kind of depends on the time of year. So here with the time change, by the time I would get out to my range for my work where I'm a member at, it's dark during the wintertime. Like I'm off work by, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. Wintertime, it's dark by five, five thirty. That's barely enough time to set up targets and start shooting um, and driving out there. So I do a lot of indoor stuff in the wintertime once a week. And then on the weekends, usually I'll practice. Now that the time changes hit, I kind of build up for matches. Like before uh, GBC, I was going out two, three times a week after work. Um, and I'll kind of keep that routine now, even though I don't have any more majors until the Oregon Open, which I think I still have some time on. So it's usually live fire twice a week. Um, and then I throw matches in almost every single weekend. So I shoot one of my, at my local club. We have a match on the fourth Saturday of the month. I shoot Richmond, uh, twice a month, which our locals there are, like I told you, a minimum of 150 people a weekend times two. They do it twice a month. And the 150 is like a low number now that ammo is kind of scarce and there's not as many people. I've seen as many as 200 something people at a local, like mm-hmm. 30 people per squad. It sounds horrible, but it actually, the way they run their matches and design everything, it works out pretty well. Um, so that's the majority of my live fire uh, and things like that. Dry fire, physical training, I still mix in every day. I either walk, or sorry, walk, run, I'll ruck or I will ride my bike depending on the mileage and depending on the workout. I do that six days a week as well. Um, as far as physical training and then on my days off that I don't feel like doing as much, I work agility training on top of that. Usually I'll go for a shorter run or a shorter ruck or I'll go like five miles on the bike. Instead, I'll come home and I'll do agility training on a ladder afterwards because I got big old feet and I'm kind of a clunky looking dude, like trying to get that foot speed up. So I'll work that and then. Um, reading through some mental management books, you know, reading does the Lanning Bastion books, stuff like that. I'm le- reading this other one that's a, I think it's a tennis, based on tennis. I'm reading that mm-hmm. as well, um, along with working with a counselor and a physical um, therapist for as far as like I do a lot of stretching and things mm-hmm. like that as well, and do yoga four times a week minimum and stretch seven days a week. Got to stretch. Always got to stretch. Dude, it's so good for you, bro. Not even, no lie. All the yogas. All the yogas. You got to do it, bro. Mm-hmm. So that's basically. You... Yeah, definitely. I, I dry fire. I'm crazy. I'm like a seven day a week dry fire guy. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Now, how much are you doing per day? Are you doing two a days still? Yep, still doing. Always doing the two a days. Well, hope stretch going for two a days. But if something comes up, it's only one a day. You know. Two, the two-a-days are just usually if it fits into the schedule. But I, I try to shoot for two-a-days. But I'll go for 15 minutes a time. Perfect. Yeah. Sometimes the hands get smoked a little faster, so it'll take it easy. For me, it's the shoulders and the forearms, because I'm trying to get more into it. I've been talking on and off with your fellow about how he groups and stuff like that to shoot as much as they shoot in a year, especially World Shoot Year. Like, mm-hmm. over 100K, World Shoot Year's like 200-something. It's insane, right? But he talks more about using his shoulders and stuff like that to be gripping the gun versus less his hands. You know, you get all the guys where that support cuff right there on their arm near their elbow or podcast as they get like tennis elbow, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff like that. So I've been working kind of the shoulder thing going, um, with changing my grip up. Not that you know there's a lot of recoil shooting an open gun, but there is a lot of weight hanging off the front of my hands, you know. So those things tend to help a lot with your hands not getting bad 
not smoke. Are you running pro grip or anything like that on your hands? Yeah, I'm using uh, liquid grip. Nice. Have you tried any of the liquid chalk stuff? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a liquid chalk like uh, so you know it's a late it's a weightlifter's uh thing. I think I bought it from Ben Steggers Pro Shop, and the nice thing is it came in a big bottle and a little like a little travel bottle that clips onto a carabiner, so squirt some more on. It's really nice because it coats your hands, and then your hands actually feel soft from the lotion. Nice. I got I, I kind of take after the book of Christian because he buys it. There's a big bottle of stuff you can get on Amazon. He filled a smaller bottle of it, but it's liquid hand chalk. It's like weightlifting and stuff like that, but it's cheap. It's like 20-something bucks for a big bottle. And it's also antibacterial. So even though I should open, I run a, a copious amount of that liquid chalk on my hands because... You know, people are like, oh, you can't, you know, your gun's got a little grip on it, and it's so angry, which it's not as angry as the newest chilies are, but it's still, it's cheese grater, right? But for my thought process, I'm running a bunch of it in the right places, you know, on the front of my knuckles and on my support hand where a lot of my meat and potatoes are getting there. Um, it's to make my job easier, so this is like, the whole idea is I don't have to grip as hard because I've got more mechanical advantage because there's more tension or more, basically, roughness on the gun. There's less give because of just it being skin, and I don't have to work as hard gripping together. But that liquid chalk is the way to go because it's way cheaper than pro grip or a lot of the other stuff to go. Right. Ooh. Did you move your uh, phone by any chance? No, oh, what? It sounds a little weird now. Uh, the AC turned on. Oh, okay. That's interesting. It's all good, though. All right. Because I just I, on my end I can hear it, but all good. One oh seven. Um, yeah, no, I like the liquid grip. I kind of use it. I'll probably use it twice a week though in dry fire, just so I'm not burning it up too much. Just so, but I I will use it in dry fire, just to get used to it. it and it cinches down. I was thinking about carbiding my uh, my G17. That's Sorry. the way to go. Yeah, I did that on my limited guns and my Glock. I did it on the panels on my Panfo. The cheap way to do that is getting the two-part epoxy kit with the, I think it's rock. It's for tumbling rock media. You get it like Harbor Freight. There's a course and a flying that come in that pack. And then you do the epoxy on there. And then you kind of let that set. Depending on how big your hands are and how big the grip is of a particular gun, you allow that first coat to kind of set. And then you mix up some more. And then you actually add the, the um, carbide to it. And then you, while it's still kind of tacky, you, you grip it kind of lightly. You can form it kind of to your hands. It won't have like the grooves in it, like the Gen 3 blocks, right? But it'll actually kind of contort your hands a lot better. So then that way you're filling up all those little gaps and you can't necessarily see, but you can feel when you're gripping the gun. So you'll get even more contact. If you don't mind basically ruining your gun, because on the polymer guns, you like eroding the lower, like that's the gun. Yeah, then that's the thing about it. I mean, I already milled this gun, so it's not like it's. If it's, I'm not gonna sell the darn thing anyway. So yeah, you undercut it too. No, no, yeah, I haven't done any grip mods because I'm still debating on the the carbide. It's one of those oh. weird things. I have, easy yeah, it's super easy to do with a Dremel. I don't really trust myself with a Dremel, but I have Dremel. Well, I am a gunsmith, right? Yes, I, I, yeah, gunsmith Dremeling is is life. <laughs> but I will say. I think that Karyopics will get magwells within a year, is my bet. If Foley doesn't get the boot, which, God willing, he will soon, and Eamon will be president, um, then, uh, yeah, it'll, they'll have magwells.
Mackerels, which makes more sense. Like, I can't remember if you were talking to someone or someone else was, but Mackerels are, I mean, they come on the X5s. You know, a lot of carry guns, they come with them or they put them on. I have a, a Terran Mackerel on my uh, 19. Mm-hmm. You know, like, why not? It's a carry Mackerel. It's not like a Dawson Ice Mackerel or, you know, a big honking Atlas Mackerel or a Lemcat or name your manufacturer. It's not a giant one because I'm not going to carry a giant one. It just, it's a little bit of help there. Um, and then, you know, in two years, if things don't change the way they are, you know, 2011 will be legal in carry optics. Mm-hmm. That'll be the next thing. That or power factor will go down. Yeah, that would be nice to see just so we stop beating the crap out of the guns. Mm-hmm. And I only, I don't even want a magwell to help me with my reloads. I My reloads are fine. It's just to save the bo- the polymer frames. Right. So then I don't have to go buy a new gun every year because I dry fired the piss out of it. Yep, I had a buddy turn in a pair of 35s that were his limited guns because he chewed up the bottom so bad and they just he sent him in and they sent him new ones that he get pay a surcharge or some sort of fee to get new guns and had to redraw some and stuff. But yeah, he literally wore the bottoms of them out so bad that they had to get new new grips, new guns. Because yep. they're not like six that you can't just replace the load. That would be nice. Uh, uh, that'd be the one thing if Glock did anything. Kept, keep the Gen 5, but make it like a chassis for like into the Gen 6. So then you can be like, oh, buy a new grip. No, Glock should just actually innovate instead of making like the Porsche 911 and just changing it very slightly and slapping a new logo on it. And going, oh, look, it's the new R, you know, GTS 3 R8, and it's got this thing, little tiny thing that's different. It's painted a different color, and it costs 10 grand more. There you go. Like, if they would just innovate, but, you know, if the wheel's not broken, keep running it until you're no longer relevant, I guess. Yeah, true that. That is definitely true. So, what majors do you have coming up? So, I've pretty much shot most of mine that I have scheduled. I um, did, what did I shoot so far this year? Dragon's Cup? Because of COVID and everything, I didn't get really crazy on pre-scheduling for matches because I wasn't sure if anything was going to, how the country was going to open up at the beginning of the year when a lot of these matches were. Like, I was signed up to shoot Bighorn, which is in like a week or a month or something, which is the Colorado State match. I pulled out of that, I but I did shoot Dragon's Cup so far this year. This last weekend was um, the Gold Bullet Championship, which was the largest match ever shot in California. Like 463 people with 31 DQs, five people who shot for no score and but it was a giant match um, how many how that many people shoot for no score uh i believe two people went sub minor and the rest of them their open mat open mags were too open or limited mags were too big oh the open guys yeah they were too big so they went for they shot for no score oh how do you have a, how do you have a mag that's 171.25 millimeters be any longer like you do that by going Gen 1 or Gen 2 SDIs and not paying attention to what Terran follow or Terran base pad you bought. That's how. At that point, if you're, I'm sorry, spend the $35 and get yourself a mag gauge. Like, that, that, that'd be the best way to know that your mags worked. Dude, it's even simpler than that. Don't be a cheap ass and buy MBX mags. Or better yet, once the Atlas 171s come out in a couple of months, buy those instead because they already make gauge and they're going to be the best mags on the market like that's what the time you know atlas didn't make mags back then when i bought all mine so i just bought all mbx's i don't have to worry about it i've never even had to tune my mbx's everybody's like oh you got to tune your feed lips and all that stuff dude i've never touched mine never done the springs 
just replace the springs and followers. Those are on a schedule. I've got a set of mags that I only run at major matches. So I've got um, two big sticks and two 155s that are only for major matches. This is hashtag open problems. You need to be remembering this. Mm -hmm. um, and then the rest of, I have a whole nother set of mags that are practice mags. And then I have mags that I've dedicated to dry fire. So my gun came with an Infinity 125 or 135, whatever the, the short stick is for open. And then it came with a bunch of Gen 1 Dawson or Gen 1 STIs with Dawson pads. And those are all my practice slash dry fire mags. And then I've got MBXs for locals. And then I've got that other set of MBXs just for majors because you don't want to have to deal with it. They get set aside and I still replace the springs on them, you know, twice a year and followers. It's cheap. It's 35 bucks like for a kit. Who cares? Oh, well. Right. Well, shit, even my Glock mags, I have uh, practice mags slash dry fire mags and match mags. Yeah, because you wear the crap out of those Glock mags. You break them down. Eventually, they're useless. Mm -hmm. The only thing good is the, the the base pad at that point. Yeah. Have you messed with, have you played with any of those MBXs that are for carry optics for Glocks? No, they scare me on price tag. They're pretty legit. I got a buddy who shoots a Gen 5 down in the bay and he's got a couple of those and they, they run they're cool they just uh, for me like if i shot pcc too which i'm not really gay so i'm, I'm not going to shoot pcc i am classified in it but you know there was that was just because i was cool would you rather yeah. be gay and shoot pcc or be a boomer and shoot revolver bro i'd rather be gay and shoot pcc sorry they see, see I, I, we're, I, you're sane <laughs> You know, I just, I, you know, you can't say no to it. I, it's one of my buddies who's a, a top 10 PCC guy, and I got the opportunity to shoot his gun in a match, and I was like, let's go, Cuzzo. You know, I may or may not have one built just for funsies, but, you know, it's, you know, it's good for the kids to shoot and stuff like that, my girlfriend. But anyways, um, yeah, those MBX mags for carry optics seem to work really well. I think you just have to change out your Glock uh, mag release to a metal mag release, or I think that's the only thing you have to change. Yes, they are more expensive. But if you think of it long term, if you're going to run carry optics and run a Glock for the next three years, it's going to pay for itself. Yeah, that is that is definitely true. Their website kind of scares me, but that's just because it's not the best website, though. No, but they are legit. And I, I give props to MBX is when we had Freedom Week here in California, where basically there was an injunction on the, the mag rule, mag restrictions. So basically, you know, they posted, hey, come on, come all, come buy whatever mags you want in California. I mean, everyone sold out of big sticks and you know 155s and all the gen tubes that you could get one and two um at the time and dude they're legit i mean they at the time it was still cheaper for a long time until the gen 2 stis came out to make to buy an mbx and it was to build up sti tubes it was like well i could spend an extra ten dollars or save ten dollars on not having to put all these three parts together and make sure they work together or i could just buy a system that works on its own and that you don't have to fuck with and so that's yeah. the route and they're interchangeable. I mean, the base pads are all the same. You've got different tubes. Their followers are 3D printed, which is kind of cool. I'm still waiting on someone to actually make those on the side. Like, there's a guy making them for the Canics now. I just want someone to make the followers for um, the MBXs as well. That would be cool. Just so I could buy just springs and not the follower kit as well. Steiner, do your job. 3D print it. He's too busy making tool heads. They're supposed to do a big announcement here. They've got new stuff coming out pretty soon. Yeah, I, I think I have everything available for my 750 that uh, he makes. Nice. Do you have the inline fabrication UFO light? No, I have a, it's not inline fabrication, it's KMS squared, um, their light that goes on the, 
it goes on the frame of the the press, so it's really cool. So you can take the tool head out, and your light is still right underneath it, so you don't have to change your light out. Nice. Yeah, I think I had the I think I had the inline one, and it was a UFO light. It went just straight down the middle of the six fifty, mm-hmm. and it sat right in there, and you just pull it out whenever you wanted to change it. But now I have the oh, I can't remember who makes it, but it's like an LED system that snaps up underneath the tool head on the ten fifty, and it lights it up like it's you're standing in the middle of the sun. It's glorious. Yeah, the KMS squared is cool. It sits on the frame right on the out. Pretty much goes the same you know dimensions as the tool head so it just blasts all the light down which is really nice you don't have to fuck with it at all and it's only like 35 bucks and that's yeah yeah i've got a bunch of panda stuff as a very stuff as well i mean i've got yeah i've got all the tabs i've got a bunch of stuff i've got the riser i mean pretty much if he makes it for the press i've got it um you know for the tube thing that's so for spent primer so i don't have to have shoot down into the little tray i can have it put into a bucket Though I heard a story about one of those torching off and killing a guy, so I then switch back to the little thick cup holder thing that catches them, because I guess there was a commercial setup back east in like Missouri or Tennessee, something like that, a, a while ago too. But they lit off a pri- live primer that was it was a primed case with no bullet, and when he deprimed it, it lit it off and all the priming compounds. There's a bunch of them left when you're reloading, right? Well, that mm-hmm. tube was full of it, and it the there was a five gallon bucket below this guy's legs. And it torched it, and it, the explosion killed him, like blew an artery or something like that. So after I heard that story, I'm like, nope, never mind. Taking off that coupling, I'm going to have a little thing that I have to empty out every so often instead, because I'd rather have a small explosion of priming compound versus a large explosion of compound. Yeah, I, I like the tube. I actually broke his three, uh, the 3D printed one after like 400 rounds. So then I upgraded to the. Uh, the uh, CNC uh, one that Johnny designed. Nice. So then that's and, and the nice thing is it comes with the damn tube that goes on it. So I can't complain about that. No, that's the way to go. Do you have um, the output bin bucket thing that has the tube that then your loaded ammo will fall into a bucket instead of going into the tray? No, I got I got the bigger output chute, so it'll let me shoot into a bigger. Uh, acro bin because i snagged a big ass acro bin from work so i'm like it'll hold like but then i had to buy an inline fabrication uh bin barrier Mm -hmm. so then that bitch would be full of ammo (laughs) that should be about a thousand rounds at nine when you fill that up Mm -hmm. so i don't have to worry about shit instead of those dylan bigger bins please come on like more more stations dylan come on that too but no, I've got that. Go ahead. No, you're fine. Go ahead. I was gonna say I the only other thing I might get is getting that the two the connector like when Eric posts videos back when he posted videos um, that weren't memes of the the chute that is connected to like a not a dryer tube but it's like a vinyl tube that is with a pipe clamp on it. It goes down into your bucket or your ammo can, so your ammo just falls straight into that or goes into your double alpha brass marker if you're stupid and shoot super comp. Um, one of those would be cool, but I'm still waiting on that Franklin Arsenal press is supposed to be coming out really soon. That, um, is a multi-station, like a Dylan kind of a press. Did you ever see that? Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I think I did. And it's like super cheap, really. Mm -hmm. It was like 750 bucks. If I remember right. If that thing actually ran, that'd be the only thing I'd get rid of. I'd get rid of my Dylan for one of those. Cause you could have two for the price of getting rid of your Dylan. 
I could do it. I've had offers on my 1050 all the time. I wish I would have held my 650 for longer because I could, with how market is now when things are before the, I mean, things have gotten better with Dylan, but when things were really crazy, I mean, I was watching 650 sell for $62,000 with no dies or anything, just a machine, like on uh, all sorts of the different um, sites online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I, I don't even look at the used market. The problem was when I told the wife I was getting into reloading, she's like, what's that? And she started trying to look it up on Facebook and I was like, no, just stop. <laughs> See, mine's really cool. She doesn't really care because we do our finances separately when we, we pay mutual bills and we do things like that. But she's like, you have your money. I have mine. As long as you pay for your part of the things and you know, your obligations, i.e., you know, car payment, cell phone, all that sort of stuff. And I'm not responsible for you. Whatever money you have left over, that's your money. Do your thing. And that's the same thing with her. I'm like, oh, you bought this or you went and did that. Cool. That's awesome. Well, we're going on vacation still, right? Oh, yeah, we're doing that. You know, like his and hers money makes life go a lot, a lot better. Oh, absolutely. It definitely does. Definitely does. I, I am not that fortunate at this point, though. Oh, things will get better. Oh, yeah, hopefully. Well, we can all hope. Right? Mm, yeah. Shooting is shooting, though. That's the fun part. She going to a match here this weekend, so we'll see. Nice. Didn't you say your average drive time is like two and a half hours or two hours to get to a match? That's worth it? Uh, two and a half. Uh, average is over an hour. And this one just happens to be two and a half hours away. Because yeah. it's an hour, hour and a half, two hours, two and a half, three. The farthest one I'll go to. For a yeah. little that's about me too, which all my guys would think I'm crazy for driving, you know, two and a half, five hours round trip to shoot a match. But, you know, when there's that many shooters and the stages are like level twos, you know, every single month and the competition there is like really, really good, then it makes it worth it. I've got buddies who are lucky. They live like 15 minutes from one of their, from their local. And they're mm-hmm. like, why you got to drive so far? I'm like, we're not all lucky to live where you live. So go fuck yourself. I, yeah, but... The- yeah, they say the same thing to me, and then I go, yeah, but do you have one of these? And I left up my shirt, and I've got my carry gun on me, and they're like, screw you. Because, you know, in the Bay Area, you cannot get one. Like, it's unheard of to get a carry permit in the Bay Area or any of those counties that are near it. Like, mm-hmm. no chance in hell of getting a carry permit down there. And I'm like, yeah, but I got this. And they're like, screw you. And I'm like, yeah, so suck it. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Oh, ooh, here's a good question. What is something that uh, current you would like to tell past you about shooting? Oh, yeah, I've heard you use that one. I like that. Oh, I take a class by far. Um, that's number one. Take a class and take it serious and actually really dry fire. When you're dry firing, not just like, oh, half-ass things and blah, 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 but like actually really dry fire. Treat it like it's a match. Treat it like it's real. Like you're actually putting, you're putting your time into it, right? So that's mm-hmm. like mowing your own lawn. Like we we've, we've got lawn service that comes and do does our yard work here, right? Is it worth your time to in, in maintenance of having your own equipment to do it, or would you would you rather pay someone to do it and have that extra two hours, let's say, a month or something? However, you know, I don't know how big people's properties are. That all vary, but ours is pretty quick. It'd be like two hours a month worth of work, right? So, like for me, I would rather pay someone to do that so I can have that time to do something that I want to do, right? So if I'm going to devote time, which is money, whether you're at work working for someone or you're working for yourself when you're on your own, right? 
I would rather take it more serious. So that's how I take my dry fire time. You know, I'll play on my phone every so often when I need to get my hands a break. But if I'm going to dry fire, I'm not, I'm rarely listening to music. I'm rarely texting people or doing stuff like that. I might post some stuff on Insta, but I take it very serious. And the same thing with practice. Like I have an, a regimented thing. Like I need to work on this, this, and this. Like now my new thing is entries and shot calling at distance and entries on like partial targets into a hard array or something like that and getting back out in a relatively good time. So like having a dedicated plan when going to the range, because before I would take a bucket of ammo and I'd go with the bros and I'd be like, oh, let's shoot a plate rack. Oh, I can shoot this from here. Or let's do, you know, we had open paper at seven and there's like a steel plate over here and like building these kind of semi-complicated stages of like running around and doing stuff, but not really learning it. So my big thing, so, uh, you know, now Doug to old uh, to young Doug would have been like, take things serious because this stuff matters to you. You want to get good. You have to treat it kind of like a job. You have to, it's got to be organic in a way, but it has to be regimented for it to actually make a difference. It's like working out. You could work out once or twice a week and you might maintain what you have. You might, you know, basically stay okay. But if you want to get faster, stronger, bigger, or smaller, depending on what your current goals are then you've got to take it serious. You can't just give in and eat, you know, cake and ice cream on the weekends. And on the week you're eating, you know, quinoa and soy and um, soy products and stuff like that. And like, you got to be serious about it. And honestly, you invest the money in good gear because I went the cheapo route uh, uh, in the beginning. Like I bought those um, rip off black scorpion gear um, pouches off of Amazon. I, I bought the, the fake CR speeds stuff like that, um, buy good gear. You know, the whole buy once, cry once thing is legit. Like once you realize this is something you're gonna continue to do, even if you're a weekend warrior, buy good gear because it shouldn't hold you up. It shouldn't be limiting you and it should be reliable. You know, because I tried the route of being cheap and it doesn't work out at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Especially, and it sucks when you first get into the sport, it's one of those things of you buy what you think is gonna work and then you really find out that it doesn't work. Like I bought when I first got into this, I went with ghosts, which they're not a bad pouch, but they weren't for me. And I learned that, it, I, yeah, but it's your backup mag. It's like your, it's your OOO shit mag. It's my OOO shit mag. And it's where I, it's, if I'm in a Barney up, I grab that mag and stick it in there, lock it and put it away. It's only because I broke one of my double alphas because I, and I have three of these left over, but no, the ghosts are okay, but they're nothing to write home about. You're right. I, I'm a CR speed guy at the moment. I'm thinking about the new, it's more money to sink in, but I'm thinking about those new uh, Alpha XI pouches. The plastic ones or the metal ones? The metal ones. Oh, yeah, daddy. Well, because, see, if I buy now, I can buy the pouch, and then when I go to open, I have a pouch that I'm not going to want to change. But, shit, I know there's GM still using CR speeds and open. And Bro, I'm I seeing... Dude, I, I saw Casey set up, because I've never seen Casey a CBO in person. Bro. Mm -hmm. You saw it. He's got CRC pouches and he's got them set up the most weirdest way ever. Like some weird shit I've never seen, but it works for him. But they're CRC pouches, CR speed pouches, which I actually ran those um, until I started shooting on with Dominate Defense and they just don't fit very well. They can fit, but I didn't want to mess with them. So I bought a bunch of these uh, double alpha racers because there was a guy at Richmond who was getting out of the game mm -hmm. and they're the old school racers. So they're metal and there's some issues with them. But I'm going to this over the off season, I'm going to switch to those XIs. I think that's going to be the next for me as well. Yeah, I, I'm thinking about them and the investment's not that bad when you only need three pouches or two plus three. a magnet. Yeah, I yeah, three. 
There's some people who are like, you need four for carry optics. I'm like, you're crazy. You have a magnet. Stick your start mag on the magnet. <laughs> right? I have yeah. those now. I wanted to put a magnet on my belt just for that, but they were like, before the rule change, and they are like, you'll get bumped to open. I don't give a fuck. If they want to be a dick about me putting a mag there before we make ready, fuck them. Wrong. So the rules state, see, see, I watched this happen at a major match. So the guy made ready off of his magnet shooting carry optics two years ago before it was legal, right? And it's not a bump to open unless it's during a course of fire. Because mm -hmm. I, I asked the range master, I go, isn't that a bump to open? He goes, it wasn't during the course of fire. As long as you only use it at the start, you know, before the timer goes off, you're fine. Just like before, if you would have used a front pocket reload shooting production mm -hmm. or carry optics, that would have been a bump to open as well. But if you just grab your starter mag out of that, then that's fine. Right. So it's during the course of fire that it's an issue. And the only time I use a magnet is for... Um, you know, for unload and show clear and make ready, obviously, I put the big stick on there because, you know, if you can have a big stick, why not? Um, and then if there's a table start, that's the only time magnets are necessary. You know, there's no reason to, you know, try and have 29 rounds dangling off of one of those or 23 and carry optics. It's just a bad idea. Yeah. The, and I, in dry fire lately, I've been practicing unloaded starts off the magnet. So then my first pouch is still my first pouch on a reload. Yep, exactly. And so then you're like, so then you're not reaching any farther, but I'm, my pouches are almost set up like open. They're not like full 12 o'clock, but I have like an 11 o'clock pouch. But yeah, the XI pouches look pretty good. Um, I have no, I had no problem putting CR speeds on the dominate defense. I just had to take the, the long part of the ratchet off so I could just get them past it because that was the only thing that was an issue. Yes, and now that you have your setup, here's a word to the wise on those. And I talked to Jason about this. He doesn't Loctite those because it, people might need to take them on and off or whatever. But now that your belt's set up, you know those two, these two little dudes right here? Could throw some Loctite on those because one of them will back out on you. I already did. Oh, you already did it? Good. Mm -hmm. I was going to say. That's kind of a thing that I didn't know or think of. And then I'm at, I was actually at the gold bullet on my belt and thank God he was there. I mean, the belt still would have ran with one, right? But in my head, it was like, oh, it feels a little weird. But I, uh, he hooked me up with another one, you know, whatever. I sent screw and bolt thing. But um, to Loctite those. But they're definitely the way to go, man. I just, you won't need more than three pouches and a magnet. It's kind of stupid. Now, how did you determine how to set your um, belt up as far as is it body positioning on your magazines? Have you played with that? Um, well, when I was behind the hip, it was pretty much at the, the hip bone line. Yep. But other than that, I watched a video from Charlie Perez on the Atlas channel with Mark Stevens about, yep. aggre about aggression. And it made sense about having the angle of my wrist and my forearm be as straight as possible. And so that's where the first one kind of moved up to 11 o'clock. And it was more, I had to angle it more than anything. Yep, that's exactly it. And before that video came out, I had listened to a live with JJ, like, I don't know, two years ago, and he explained the same principle. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's old information that just gets passed around everybody. It's nothing new, right? Kind of like right. how people talk about old is new and new is old and, and shooting stuff because it's got we've been doing it for so long, especially with pistols. But on the reloads being with the all the the competition style gear, yeah, the whole wrist line thing is the main thing. Um, to make it a neutral angle and then what's comfortable for you like some guys like it straight up in front I'm at like a 10 o'clock position I would say maybe 10 and a half for my number one pouch and the number two and three never really get used because number two is for if I biff a reload or I have a malfunction which 
I haven't done either of those in a long time because I've got a giant magwell and I make relatively good ammo. So mm-hmm. it's not too bad of an issue. It just it's a security thing for me coming from production. You know, once you have that mindset of oh shit, I've got to reload all the time, and it's you got to make sure you feel like you have to go to war, especially in the beginning. Like shit, I remember stages I would go through five mags through a course of fire because you know. I shot seven rounds at one popper and then I went to another position and shot another six, another popper. You know, you're doing standard reloads and all that stuff. So I always like to feel like I'm basically ready for a stage, even if shit goes sideways. You know, I can't remember the last time I reloaded out of the third pouch ever shooting open, maybe unlimited because I biffed a reload and had a malfunction. But like for me, three's the limit and throw one on the magnet and you're good to go. Sometimes I'll only throw two in there depending on the course of fire, but like, yeah, you only need three, bro. Well, the funny part is I have three pouches, but the, the there's never a magazine in the third pouch. Really? Yeah, like I'll have my start mag on the magnet now. Uh-huh. So it'd be if it was it'd be different. I'd have three. All three pouches would be filled if I didn't have a magnet. But since I have the magnet, make ready's on the magnet. Gotcha. And then, depending on if I need, depending on the course of fire, if I Barney up or not, I typically Barney. I'll Barney off the second one. Or I'll actually have a specific Barney mag in my like rear ass pocket of my pants. Your like, rear ass pocket? How many pockets you got on your on your pants that you have to have a rear ass pocket? Is there a front ass pocket, a side ass pocket? Man, what kind of <laughs> Yeah, well they got a pocket inside a pocket. Oh, okay, okay. That's like that that scene in Terminator. I think it's the second one or the first one. Left cheek. What the <laughs> pocket? There's seven pockets. Left cheek. Yeah, that sorry. I just thought it was funny shit. <laughs> I did like Terminator 2. Terminator 2 was a good movie. Nice. Yeah, but no, uh, I do that and then just have the two. I'll have the one reload and then the oh shit, I fucked my reload. I need I need another mag. So so I only walk up to the line with two mags and pouches. Yeah, three for me. It's just, like I said, it's still stigmatism. And I Barney up all the time. I don't know if that's normal for a lot of other people, but I got 29 rounds in a big stick. Usually I run it at 28, 29 if it's roll size, um, but it's 29 rounds in the big stick, but I Barney that up. So I've got 29 or 30 rounds, even if it's a classifier mm-hmm. Do that every single time. It's part of my make ready. I always Barney up, you know, some guys are like, oh, you don't need, why are you Barneying up when it's a 16 round short course or something? I'm like, dude, leave me alone. It's my routine. Like you do you boo boo. I'm going to do me. Exactly. And like, it's just about, it's, it's about habits though. It's like, if you always Barney up, why change something? If, you know, why, you know, why stop burning up? You know, it's part of your routine. It's part of your make ready. And you got to make sure everyone has the longest GM level make readies. You know, for a middle of the middle of the road, nobody, I do have a pretty bad make ready because I visualize the whole stage before I shoot it. And I, I'll, I'll visualize the whole thing. I'll run through it at like what I feel is at match speed and what, you know, each target, you know, like Stinger talks about and other guys and Charlie, like picking an actual spot to aim at on each target you know, when you're doing your walkthrough, but in my head, I'll go through and I'll look at those points. And in my head, I'm visualizing shooting those things. That's part of my mental management is like running through stages and even running through them again after the fact. So like throughout the week, if I just shot a match, I'll do a lot of mental stuff that helps formulate my dry fire for like, how did I come into this position? And what was I feeling? And what was I thinking? I keep a notepad after I shoot a stage, I'll write down some stuff really quick and chicken scratch of like what I saw or what I did wrong. And that way I can come back to it and dry fire and live fire because most of the time I forget even in video. It's like, oh, that looked OK. You're a little slow there. But in my head, it's like, oh, I was looking at this index point instead of that. 
So in the routine of my uh, walkthrough or my walkthrough, my make ready, I'll visualize all that. And then I'll, while the gun's still empty, I'll draw and do a trigger press on if I can see the hardest shot or what I perceive to be the hardest shot on a stage. I'll do a trigger pull or sometimes two at that specific target, that popper, that zebra at whatever distance it is, whatever I can see from the start position to kind of once again hone in my brain. Yeah, I got this. I can I can make this shot and I know what it's going to feel like before I even do it. So I can mentally prepare that way as well. But it's, you know, a lot of people don't realize that you have two minutes. Once it's your turn and they say make ready, you have two minutes to take as much whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. And some people are all like, are you, like they'll say... I'm actually a certified certified RO. I don't know if you are or not, but I am no longer a certified RO. I let mine elapse, but I'm gonna renew it. Right, but you'll have people who are like, you're just getting up there. You loaded the you may you may have loaded the gun at that point and put it away and done like they're like, are you are you ready? I'm like, you kind of give them the double tick. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm not even in a start position. Right, or what I do with an easy way to get rid of that is keep your hand on the gun. Mm-hmm. So while I'm doing my, my mental walkthrough or whatever, um, after I've, you know, taken the sight picture, I will I'll leave my hand on the gun because I learned that from watching Nils. He does that. He'll leave his hand on the gun until he's actually ready. And then he'll, you know, whatever the start position is, then he'll assume it. So that way then, otherwise, some of the ROs I feel bad for. My local guys all know to leave, to not put the timer up. But sometimes it is a full minute, minute and a half until I'm like, you know, ready to rock and roll. And, you know, just... Keep your hand on the gun. That way, they then the poor guy behind you isn't having to hold the timer up for that whole time before it's time to go. Yeah, I do like that. My problem is I'm too right hand dominant to not have my hand. You know, because I did that for a while. So I had the hand on the gun, but I'm I do too much shit with my right hand. Like even if I'm doing like a visualization. Oh, you could put your hand on your hat. I mean, there's a bunch of different things you could do too, just to keep from people interrupting you. Because that's my biggest thing is like. Yeah, I, I have not subscribed to the Steve Anderson thing. I've heard you talk to some other people, and I've heard good things about all that stuff. I have not gotten into that um, sort of thing. Same thing as the PTSG stuff online. Like, I haven't subscribed to that or put money into it or really looked into it. But, like, you know, that whole match mode thing and that mental mindset. Like, I, my friends and everybody knows not to talk to me for the first, you know, if I'm in the hole, dude, leave me the hell alone. Don't talk to me unless there's something important, like, I've already handed my phone off to one of my buddies who know how to unlock my phone or how to scroll up on the camera icon, um, you know, stuff like that. Like, leave me alone. And same thing on the make ready. Once I'm there, it's like, once I'm done, I'm going to be ready. But until then, just hush. Right. Just chill out, bro. I, yeah, I, I subscribe to the metal management stuff. It helps me. And it's been really helpful to get me, since I'm so new to the sport, get me you know, run up and actually like take the super seriously like I do. And so I'm not wasting a bunch of time uh-huh. and it's very nice and I like it. I was thinking about doing the PSTG. I've got some buddies who are in it. I've been listening to their podcast lately, the training group live podcast. It's pretty good. Well, you get to listen to the first half for free. Second half, you got to pay for her, but it's a good podcast. Um, yeah. So I'm pretty cool with my metal stuff. Uh, my problem is I usually forget to hand my phone to somebody because usually my phone is in my range bag. So oh. I don't, yeah, so I'm like, oops, no video today. <laughs> no, I always, because that's why I buy shorts or pants that have those pockets on the side, so that way it's on me at all times. You know what I mean? I don't ever set, the only time my phone gets set down is if a buddy sets it on my chair or my um, range bag which I'm one of those people who subscribe to the cart thing because I like to take so much crap to the range. I got a giant UTG range bag 
and I've got my little lunchbox cooler thing, and then I've got my chair, which, do you take a chair to the range? Uh, I have a stool, and I use a baby stroller. Right on, that works. Mm -hmm. I have to, the baby stroller works because it was free. I actually, funny thing is we mentioned it, I just bought a umbrella holder, like that goes on a little golf cart. You know, yeah. that you, and I have that, and the umbrella's coming from Amazon this week, so I'll have a giant-ass umbrella over my baby stroller. Bro, you bought one? Dude, I've made one out of a, so on the range carts, you know, the Costco specials. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple different brands, but all I did was I had seen it, actually, one of my guys I shoot with out of Richmond. Uh, we were shooting somewhere, and I looked at it, and he's got this PVC pipe that's sitting up on next to his cart. And I'm like, how's that held on there? And he drilled holes to the PVC pipe in the frame of the cart and used a, um, a cotter pen. Not Trevor Cotter, an actual cotter pen, like <laughs> on trailers. It looks like a nose ring kind of a thing. It's hard. It's a straight piece of metal, and that's got like a curved kind of springy piece of metal, and it reaches over like that. Well, two of those, top and bottom. And then you buy the umbrella that'll actually fit inside of that, and then it just goes into the top of that. Like, I've just got a giant, like, I think it's a four-foot golf umbrella that sticks in that. And I've got a third pin that goes through the golf umbrella handle, through the pipe, and then holds that because Wendell turned it into a Mary Poppins situation and start to blow the umbrella across the range. But having portable shade, depending on where you're at in the country, um, is huge, especially because the sun will take it out of you. Even if it's overcast, getting in the shade, you know, cover your stuff and cover you more importantly in the shade is even five minutes waiting for a guy to shoot a stage um or before when you're up to shoot makes all the difference yeah and the only reason i bought the uh instead of making it is because of how the stroller compacts and goes into like uh where it's goes where it's stored in the garage it has to be able to be contortable so the thing can rotate and angle different ways so perfect angle to block the sun or the rain you know so if the rain's coming from this way i can tilt it you know angle it just a little bit more but yeah it's definitely more for shade because here in michigan some of the ranges have no shade Oh, that's you horrible. Might, yeah, you might get one of those uh, canopies that are on the bay, the back of the bay. But when you're like super far away from it, or all you, you know, you don't want to walk all the way back. You just pull. Trick is, you you take your cart and you just shove it near the firing line, and it's, you have your shade right there. Yeah, exactly. Or my biggest thing is like we shoot some majors, and there may only be one of those pop up canopies, right? And so you got thirty guys or twenty guys on a squad. Dude, everybody's huddled underneath that thing on top of each other, crawling over each other to try and get out and reset if anybody's resetting. And, like, you got to deal with all that? Uh-uh. I pull up my umbrella, you know, and my holder's even orange. My cart's orange. I freaking sit wherever I want to sit right next to the line. I get to watch guys shoot the, sh the, shoot, shoot the stage. I'm sitting there. Um, I've got one of those three. It looks like a triangle, and it's got a back piece. So with all the gear that we've got on, especially in open, you're, you're – wide thing you got mags and you got a gun on you if you've got if you're all geared up and you're kind of wide so like a regular chair that's got arms on it you won't fit with a race mm -hmm. holster so i got one of the ones off of amazon amazon i don't remember what the brand is it's like 30 bucks but it's like a triangle sit on that you've got back support your sides are open so you can actually sit there with your gear on and not feel like you're going to catch yourself yeah i that's why i like the stool that i can sit on i don't have any back support but it definitely is uh beneficial to be able to sit down without having to worry about uh, worrying about snagging any gear. Yeah, the only other option that I've seen locally and actually nationally as well as becoming popular is those uh, Zuka range carts. I think they came out of disc golf. And a lot oh, of yeah. guys, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, those things. There's a bunch of my guys at my club who have those. And you put an umbrella on them and all that sort of stuff, and they're a lot more compact than those giant range carts that a lot of people carry around. And I've been looking at buying one of those. They're a little spendy for what they are. 
And uh, but I've considered switching to the whole backpack thing anyways, because it's once again, if I start traveling more as I've been every year, I've traveled the farther and further away matches. It's kind of one of my things. So I want to shoot a new match every year that I've never shot before. And sometimes that includes driving to Texas or, you know, going to an out-of-state match in Idaho or Oregon or somewhere in SoCal. Like, so being more portable is probably going to be the name of the game for next year. So I'm probably going to switch to one of those anyways, just so it's a lot easier to deal with. It's funny you say that because I've been thinking about getting the DAA bag, the big uh, um, Range Pro bag. Mm-hmm. But for the same reason, it's like I've got the cart, but I want to be able to be mobile. But the backpack's definitely beneficial. And I've talked to a bunch of people who have the, the DAA bag. Is that they can fit so much shit in it. My only bitch is you gotta then put it on your back or and then you gotta kinda put everything away between stages. You gotta like everything yes. just gotta go in the bag. And that's the benefit of the cart. Chuck it in there. Yeah, mag brushes, phone, freaking ammo. It's just like you you I it was a great example at the match. Like I've got an old section out, you get out of the car in the morning and you put this here and you got that there, and then by the end of the day, shit's just everywhere. It's just like, oh yeah, there's half an ammo box sitting on the side. There's a uh granola bar wrapper there there's all this other stuff kind of strewn about i'm like if i had a backpack i'd be uber fucked because there's be it'd be a cluster of shit on top of shit Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. then you gotta have all your ammo everywhere yeah which i mean there's there's ways to do that and like if you're if you're shooting a major you only shoot five stages and you're shooting a you know you can basically guesstimate how much ammo you're gonna need per stage i'm one of those people who takes way too much ammo to matches anyways because I ran out of ammo one time at a local, and so now after that, I mean, even if it's five stages, I take 400 rounds of ammo. Like, I don't ever want to run out of ammo again, but I'll still only take, like, 200 or 300 rounds in the MTGM uh, flip ammo boxes that are have the hinge bolt into them, the orange and black ones. I'll just take three of those, and that way I know I've got it. Basically, one whole one of those is just to fill up all my, all my mags, and the other two are to refill the mags as I shoot the match. And yep. so that way, I'm carrying all that ammo all the time. But I'm still, like I said, that's probably a product for next year. I'm not too worried about it. And I'll probably either hit up um, Trevor for a backpack because he's got a new sponsor with those guys, um, with um, GTS or whoever that company is that makes range bags as well. Or those double alpha bags come up online on the Facebook groups and on Enos all the time for dirt cheap. Yeah. The only cool thing about the DAA bag is if you buy it brand new, you get like shit that you probably already have, but it comes with a mag brush, a stool in like a parts bin so it makes it worth it compared to buying their like their medium bag yes if anyone's gonna buy the medium bag don't spend the extra 50 bucks and get the 50 bucks worth of free shit in the big the big bag but it was actually interesting my buddy chris just sent us in a question he's the uh, hot dog local master class uh, open shooter and he has why do you have the high vis orange towel flying around and does it serve a purpose Oh, yes. I get this question all the time at local. So I, I, I didn't grab it, but I've got it on um, a carabiner, a cheap Harbor Freight one that doesn't, it's not a real carabiner, you know, it says not for climbing. So that goes inside my belt loop on my right ass cheek area on that inside loop before I put on my outer Mach 1 belt. And it's there to for basically two to three purposes. Number one, if I got any random grime or paint on my fingers from resetting poppers or something and i don't want to rub those on my nice you know walmart special shorts i rub it on that towel on the on the outside part because the outside's part that i contaminate with my hands right and then the inside part is used for either 
uh, cleaning off the optic. If I'm on the line and if I didn't realize, because open guns, they spray shit everywhere because it's in 1911, 2011, you, they like to run wet. That's what they do. And especially running an open gun with popple holes, that shit gets sprayed everywhere. Um, and so then it gets on the optic. Uh, if I forget to wipe it off, I don't have to then go to the safety table and screw up the shooting order. I can actually just wipe off the optic really quick um, and get it clear enough to be able to shoot. Um, and then reason number three is if there's something weird going on, like I've had a time where I spilled some water on myself or something like that, being a klutz or something. It's just a quick way to have a towel handy without having to, oh, I got to grab my range back because I spilled water on myself or my phone. You know, it's just something really easy. And I picked that up from a buddy of mine, um, Duncan Klein, who's a top 10 PCC shooter in the country. He's one of my local guys, one of my best friends. Um, and he started doing that back when he was doing three gun because his hands, he liked to clean off his hands before he, you know, shoot PCC, didn't want all that, you know, he doesn't run pro grip or anything, but wanted to have clean hands before grabbing his rifle, I think is what I remember right. So I got that from him. And of course, orange is my thing. So I buy um, the packs of them, my Harbor Freight for super cheap, poke a hole in them, throw that carabiner through there. And I've got a towel that has a multitude of purposes. See, I just did that too, but with a green towel. Yeah. Because you green. want to be cool. Right. No, green is what green is the superior color. Just ask Justine Williams, bro. Dude, Justine, yeah, her and that lime green. Ugh, my. Uh, go ahead. See, I like OD green, but when you're when your beggars can't be choosers, you go with some high vis green too. So, Ooh, bro, can't not do it. But yeah, that's the reason for the towel. I get that from time to time, and I always run the microfiber ones because number one, they're super cheap and they wash really easily. I just throw it in the laundry, like with everything else. But those are the reasons for the towel. And it looks good on the ground. You got like a little, you know, cape kind of looking thing flowing behind you as you're shooting. And another reason, um, if you're if you're stupid like me and didn't buy a leg pad at the time, it wasn't it's not a big deal now with the Dominate Defense Mach 1 belt because that holds the weight really well of even my race holster with an open gun. But like the inside of these um, of the Everglades, see how that's angled right there? Users can't see it, but it looks like a dog leg. It kind of sticks out like that. Well, I try and line that part up with my um, my hip on the outside of my thigh. So that curvature kind of goes where the curvature of my side of my ass and my leg is. But sometimes that's not lined up right. And if I before I started de-gunning all the time, that would kind of dig into me. And before I got a dominate belt, um, that would kind of dig into me. So I could also tuck. That was the other reason what it was, is that you can tuck the towel in there and kind of use it as a pseudo leg pad when you're walking around. So it's not the race holster isn't digging into you as bad. Mm-hmm. so those are the that's another benefit of running it as well so you, how, how often do you de-gun at a match after every single stage because that thing's so heavy it's not that heavy okay this is the thought process bro this is i tell all my local guys this as well and even you know people just don't think about it because honestly when you get to the match like ben talks about this you're all hyped up you know sit down drink a water like chill for a second between resetting right or the mm-hmm. same thing you're walking around especially in open with a gun that weighs this much, or if you're shooting CO and you've got your stupid flashlight slash frame weight, it weighs even more than this gun. Um, you've got all that weight on you, especially then you add mags. So you add three mags with 25 to 30 rounds on your body. And you're carrying that around, walking around, doing all sorts of stuff like that. And let's say at a regular match, you walk 9,000 steps, 12,000 steps, whatever it is, however active you are at resetting or not resetting, depending on your rank in the sport calling out you gms who don't do shit um 
uh, you're walking around a lot. So why put yourself through that extra amount of work? That's like people who talk about working out for being better at shooting. It's not necessarily so they can move better. It's because you don't get wore out as fast. So if you weigh less, your body has to carry less weight around. So if I can eliminate that by taking off my mags and my gun, I'm going to do it. I regun when I'm in the hole. I'll go and dry fire really quick. Um, like most shooters should when they're in the hole. Like, you know, if you, if you've already walked your stage, which you should have, you should have a solid stage plan. You know, when the on-deck shooter is up at, he's shooting, now you're in the hole and he, while he's shooting, go put on my gun. I dry fire, do a couple draws, whatever. Put the gun on, go to my bag, put on my mags. Then that guy's basically done. They're starting to reset the stage. I then walk the stage one more time, finalize everything in my head and wait at the starting position for the RO. And then as soon as I'm done shooting, walk to the safe table, take off my gun. On my way to the safe table, I will take off my mags. I will leave. What I do is with my one that hits the ground after some Joe Bob hands it to me, I stick that on the magnet. The rest of them I throw inside my bag. Um, I put the one that I shot, if I had to reload, because hashtag open, I'll set that aside so I know how to, I, that's the one I need to refill. And it, plus it's got a different color base pad. It's black versus gray or gold. Um, and then I'll go degun, come back, reload, clean out my mags, and then be ready to help reset the stages. Makes sense. And yeah, I mean, it makes totally makes sense, especially when you got a freaking five pound gun on your hip anyway. And and yeah. no one no one wants the chance of I mean, most race holsters are pretty good nowadays, but you don't want the chance of that thing flopping out of your race holster and be like, someone pick up, be an adult and pick up my gun. <laughs> or you could be like there was a there was I think there was at least one shooter here at this last major who his gun fell out while he was shooting a stage or was uh, started the stage and he grabbed wrong and then he had to catch his gun and flag the RO. And like that happens at levels all the time, you know, with race soldiers because they take off a little too hard and they haven't practiced their, you know, getting on the gun as soon as they start moving. But for me, I, I haven't had that issue of a gun coming out, but it's mostly people forget to lock their race holster. That's part of my also my routine. If you switch to a race holster, your routine, like when I'm uh, in my videos, most of the time I trim it out, but like uh, after on the make ready and once the gun's actually low, physically loaded, safety's on, all that jazz before I take my hand off the gun. I'll shirk it twice. I'll go up and down once, twice, set it down, basically inside the holster, but just enough to not clear the gun, but to make sure that it's not locked. And then I'll put my hands in whatever start position they need to be, and I'll shoot the stage. And the same way, as soon as I'm done, I unload and show clear. I show the RO an empty chamber. I got that from Wansik watching him. Like he literally shoves it basically in the guy's RO's face to show him an empty chamber. Because some guys will kind of be a dick and be like, oh, I want to see an empty chamber. So I just do it to everyone. I basically shove it in their face and look, empty chamber hammer down holster whatever as soon as they say holster i don't take up a, um, a step i don't move from that position until i flip the lockdown on my holster and then i'll proceed to you know walk the stage with the ro and see my hits mm -hmm. so it's a routine on both ends that really you know keeps stupid shit from happening true that true that now there's one more thing before we start to wrap up the show um we talked online offline about your custom ear pro you're getting made oh yeah 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 that's right we we're gonna talk about this so yeah, um, I have been I've been hearing complaints from my better half about how I've had selective hearing. I haven't heard things very well from her. I probably you probably heard the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I attribute it to yes, I shoot open, but I pretty much double plug the entire time. But I had a childhood of lots of yard work and lots of chainsaws and lots of loud vehicles and loud sound systems growing up in vehicles that I think damaged my hearing also at some point, along with shooting, you know, major power factor through an open gun with popple holes. 
and limited guns with crappier um, ear pro back in the day. So I was feeling like I was having some hearing loss and I also wanted to find out how fucked my hearing was. So I went to a local audi- audiologist, audiologist, however you say it, um, and talked to her and she ended up being a shooter as well, which is kind of cool that her and her husband shoot a lot of trap and skeet and they shoot their pistols and stuff like that. Nothing to the order of like what we do, but they're shooters, which was really cool. So I did the whole hearing test, um, which started with um, a visual inspection, make sure I didn't have my ears full of wax or something crazy like that, um, or a, a blockage in there, something. Then we went into the, the studio. She put things in. I listened to tones. Some I heard, some I didn't hear. And then they did this, um, not sonar, uh, ultrasound. They had this machine that inflated in my eardrums, and it took an ultrasound in my ear. And so that actually... Uh, registers the hairs that are in your ears, which is actually how you hear um, and registers how good they are, how hard they are. So basically, I'm borderline hearing loss of needing hearing aids, but I'm not bad enough to need them yet. And the hair damage isn't as bad as it should be for whatever reason. But and so they fill your ears up with this goo that takes a mold of it. It turns hard. It's kind of like gak or like um, the slime that like they sell at grocery stores. It goes in like that, and after about five minutes, it hardens up. They've got a mold. So then she ships that off to another company. I don't know what it's called or where it's at, but they ins- they to make a mold, which mine are going to be orange, but they have OD green, brother, just saying. Yes. They can make it happen, and they come with what's a baffle system. Um, so basically, certain pressures and certain sound waves, it'll block it out without, and it's just mechanical. It's how they're built. It's how the system works. So there's no electronics. There's nothing to fail because I talked to her about, you know, getting a set of sound gear or um, the house of hearing ones, you know, like everybody has in shooting or even the Harrisons. If you're really Gucci or you've Mm -hmm. got a sponsorship like JJ or Michelle um, Mm -hmm. um, about those. And she goes, absolutely stay away from those because she actually has had five clients who were hunting people who had those sort of ear pro and had money, obviously, who they failed. And instead of at that moment cutting out the noise, they amplified it. And actually, those people completely lost their hearing in either of those ears because of sound equipment failure. So in my head, that's a non-starter. I'm never going to have amplified ear probes inside my ear that could potentially fail and cause me to go deaf for life. Like, literally, you can't even get an implant. Like, you're screwed. That whole ear is wrong. So I got a set of those made. My consultation was 200 bucks, And then the ear pro, I think, was like 100 something. She said she was going to work with me cut me a deal for cost or whatever it was when I came in because I am a shooter and we kind of hit it off and kind of became a, had a greater relationship so I don't know what the final cost will be but I think they run about a buck 20 to a buck 50 to have those actually made after you get the molds so and having the molds made is part of your consultation depending on your health insurance whether or not you've got what you've got or if you even have health insurance those prices might change uh, or if you have an HSA account or it's basically your, you have a card money on it to pay for health insurance you pay for book or everything it might be free but that was my story on that so those should be done i think they said end of this week or maybe next week depending on the holiday weekend might have screwed it up but for sure by the end of next week i should have them i'll put a whole review up and shooting with them and stuff like that she's like you won't need a double plug anymore you won't need to do anything like shooting open i run phonies on the inside uh the 3m work ones usually um, or the, um, there's orange ones as well that I, I got from my buddy at a sawmill. He gave me a bunch of those as well on the inside. And then, um, not walkers. They're a brand I got off of Amazon. So they're gel cups, like the nice MSAs are, but they're like $45 on Amazon. I found the brand. I can go grab it quick, but, 
those instead on the outside. So I double plug while I'm shooting. But when I'm not shooting, I take out the phonies so I can actually hear conversations and talk to people. But with both, I can barely hear the timer. But the main thing, it's not necessarily the sound of like an open gun. It's the concussion that I want to block out. So I just feel a noise versus hear a noise in, inside my ears. But double plugging is definitely a thing that she said to keep running until I get these new ones custom made. She's like, and tell all your buddies who shoot open or shoot these kind of crazy race guns that they need to be double plugging and not trusting what these other manufacturers are saying unless they've had that they're doing this, this, and this, because there's potentials for failure and there's potentials to screw up your hearing for life. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Well, that's pretty cool about that because we actually get at my work, we get a yearly audiogram where you sit in the box with the headphones and you hit the buttons. Yeah. We do that every year. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to our plant safety lady. Well, she's actually in charge of whole in North America of these safety personnel at their sites. I'm mm going -hmm. to talk to her about seeing if we can, because they buy a bunch of foamies and some of the over-the-ear protection. I mean, not electronic or anything, but see if we can get them a discount do, to do like a group uh, custom ear pro kind of thing. Because I got to do this for the shooter and me, right? Be like, right. Well, I, I'm like, oh, we're going to get these for work. Great. I'll take two pair. No, really, just or one pair and just not take them back to work. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That'd be cool. And like, if I wanted them just for like complete noise block, because my work's kind of noisy too, because I work in an industrial kind of job like you do. Like, for those, the foamies are fine, because I can still hear relative conversations, but it takes the drone from being really ridiculous to manage it, right? And I'm, mm -hmm. even though I'm mostly deaf, I'm kind of sensitive to those kind of noises, because I've been in it for most of my life. So they she said that she could make me another set without the filters that would do that as well and it'd be cheaper but i'm like ah, eh, it'll be fine these are just for shooting i'll use the, the work supplied earplugs because they're free and you know they work just fine for work i don't want to buy myself nice things for work that i'm going to trash anyways mm -hmm. absolutely and i because i would love custom set you know a custom set just so i can be comfortable with them and not have to worry about that kind of crap I said the same thing. She's like, since they're custom molded, you don't ever have to take them out. You know, put them on, put them on in the car when you get to the range. Never have to worry about taking them out. The only thing that's like kind of a negative to having in here only is like the winter time. I know it doesn't get as cold here as it does there, but those muffs are kind of nice for keeping your ears, you know. Mm -hmm. And I still would run the MSAs, except mine broke, and I contacted customer support, and they said they'd warranty them, right? Because it's actually a Swedish company or something weird like that. All the tactical Timmies always run them. I got them from a buddy who bought them and didn't like them or whatever right um they said they'd warranty them but to ship them there was like 180 dollars <laughs> something yeah, no. i was like um i can buy a new set for 220 why would i send you these and to fix them for this amount i was like oh fuck that i'll spend 45 bucks on these and just double plug you know what i mean so mm -hmm. that was the other thing that really pushed me this direction so we will see what the verdict is and how they are but important what she was saying and lady seemed to know her shit pretty well so I'll have those soon. I'll have a review up pretty soon. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm going to look into that more about maybe if I can get them uh, at work and uh, we'll go from there on those. But, Doug, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook at Doug Lestalski. Uh Instagram is my name as well. Um, I have a TikTok, but it's not. It's the same. It's I think it's 3530 on TikTok, but it's only there to watch funny videos and laugh at people doing stupid stuff like um, a Ford effing Ranger and uh, things like that um but that's where to find me douglas dolce on instagram and on facebook as well it's kind of mixed with my personal stuff i'm a once again a middle of the road nobody 
Um, so I don't have a pro shooter page and I think it's kind of a joke for people to have a pro shooter page that maybe they're a master or a GM, but if you're not a top 10 guy on a national level, there's really no reason for it. Oh, unless you're putting out a bunch of content, like you're, you know, you got a big YouTube or podcast platform. There's no real reason to have a, a shooter page. You know what I mean? So that's just me. Right. Well, that's why I do doggos and food and shooting. Absolutely. Got to have doggos. Everyone needs a doggo. Absolutely. Yeah. Doug, I appreciate you coming on, buddy. It's been a blast, and I know you've had fun. I've had fun. The, the viewers have probably had fun. So, guys, till next time, get out and do the things. We'll catch you on the next one. Bye, guys.